Okay, I think we can. Do you want to do a show? Or? Yeah, we'll do a show. That's fine. That's uh, fine. Let's see her. Okay. Oh, 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 nope. Show's canceled, everybody. Oh, there it is. Oh, thank God for our theme song. You know how, you know how some shows, they change the theme song? Like nope. Happy Days went from Rock Around the Clock to their own song? How long, though? How many seasons One. before that? Okay, well, that was just more of a, a network decision. That was also probably like, we don't want to pay Bill Haley and the Comets for this song anymore. <laughs> See, that's the truth yeah. of that. By the way, rest in peace. Bill Haley and the Comets? Or Gary Marshall? Gary Marshall. Yeah, Gary Marshall. Yeah, you know what? We didn't, we didn't touch on that last week. Well, we just did. I know. Um, do, you, do you have a... Well, welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I am Brian Irwin. I'm John Huck. All right, that's good. We got that out of the way. Yep. Is there, did you have a personal experience that you wanted to share? Is that what you said we didn't touch on it? Um, well, just meaning Gary Marshall has a huge impact. And tell, please, uh, <laughs> just turn it down. What? Oh, my fucking God. Do you have something against classic Hollywood? <laughs> did something happen to you at it, it, Hollywood Hotel? In that classic you that? Hollywood. I was told I was going to get to be in Some Like It Hot, and then they changed the casting and went with Marilyn Monroe. I, um, what were we just talking about before that song? You wanted to talk about Carrie oh, Marshall yeah. and his impact on Yeah. You. Well, Happy Days was an amazing show. When I had cancer, I, I had four months of chemo, and I watched probably two to three episodes of Happy Days a Day, along with like Doogie Howser mm-hmm. and Designing Women and a couple other shows. Sure. But Happy Days was awesome, and it's still awesome. I can even overlook... Chachi's new stupidity in order to to watch that character on Happy Days. You know what I mean? I didn't, you know, I actually didn't watch, uh, not the good off the side part, I didn't watch Chachi's stuff because I don't think I needed to hear anything he had to oh, say. Oh, no, because none of it made sense. It, I, it didn't matter. Um, I, 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 I will say that uh, John Oliver really did a good uh, uh, thing on uh, on HBO talking about that if you actually paid attention to what everybody was talking about at that convention, they were saying, America feels, I feel. It was all about feelings. And he was like, they never discussed fact because the facts were always against their feelings. Oh, there is no fact. And then yeah, some no CNN person got in this big debate with Newt Gingrich about like, no, it, you may feel that way, but just so you know the facts. And he's like, yeah. those are democratic facts. He's like, no, those are FBI those are, facts. Yeah, the FBI, those are facts. Those <laughs> are facts fact. based on science. And, and he was like, well, Research. you may see it's your way. We want, we the just, way we want we're to, seeing it is correct. I know, but what he said, yeah, he goes, but, he goes but, but our people want to see it different. She goes, and then it's just, they just stopped it at that point, which is like in anything in life, it's like if you get in an argument with like a relative, you're like, at some point, you know, the conversation is over because it will never be resolved because, because you that, obviously want to stay within this bubble that you live in, right? Yeah. That's the thing. So there are certain people in this world I'll never talk to again about certain things because it's just kind of pointless. You well, know? But anybody who's overlooking fact, anybody who, like those idiots that built the fucking ark, like you're overlooking. <laughs> you love going back to that. Well, come on, dude. You're overlooking science and fact <laughs> and things that have been researched. Like how are you denying science. How are you a science denier? I have to be honest with you, I am kind of interested in going to see the Ark. Not because I want to support what they're, they're, the ridiculousness of what they believe is the truth, but I am curious I almost want to quote to John Travolta in Pulp Fiction when Jules is about to give his wallet to Tim Roth, and he's like, if you give him your wallet, I will shoot him on principle. <laughs> like, don't give them a dime, dude. Don't give well, them a dime. You don't find it intriguing at all? Build a hotel. Build a hotel for homeless people. Call it the Ark. 
Then I'll be intrigued. <laughs> I'm sure somebody has. Not the homeless, but I'm sure they've called. Other things have been called the Ark. By the way, oh, the, speaking of things we didn't touch on, uh, just real quick, I just want everybody to know that our our man night together was just amazing. I thought we really, oh, you know, yeah. you want to talk about two guys in their forties really? getting together, really whooping it up. I mean, let me. I'm just going to recount. This is going to sound <laughs> like if anyone's heard my story about shitting in Germany and losing my pants. <laughs> This rivals that. I came over to do a podcast at night. And it was a great podcast. Brian's wife and kids were out of town. So we were going to live it up and have just a man night. Going to do it. And so after we finished the podcast. Which we, yeah. Yeah. We then spent 40 minutes trying to figure out what to watch what on Netflix. Watch. And your decision was, let's not pay for something. Which I don't, it was, it was interesting that you decided you didn't want to, you didn't feel that I should waste money on you. Which I really did feel like at that point it was a weird, bizarre date. You were like, no, it's okay. But you, well, didn't, you wanted to find something on one of the things that I've already paid for. Well, here's what, here's what ended up happening. So I'm glad you didn't pay for anything. We landed, <laughs> on, a docu- we went, landed on a documentary about the fastball <laughs> in Major League Baseball. <laughs> Brian turned it on and then went to sleep. <laughs> I watched a documentary believe. for Hard an hour and 45 minutes my house. by myself. Didn't realize Brian was asleep for the first half hour of it and kept talking through it. And not. And I guess I was like, maybe he's just really into it. He's just not responding. Then I look over and he's passed out. I'm sorry, man. but that. And then I went home. Uh, oh, actually, Brian had two beers. I had none. And then I went home. I offered you beer. You said no. Yeah, no, I said no thanks. Yeah, Which I, is probably good because those just put me to sleep. Yeah. The point is... <laughs> If you're wondering, well, actually, the movie kind of obvious. The insanity of a comic's life once they reach the age of oh. forty. You know what is sad about that story, though, is like, is that you I, and that I, I hyped it up to make no, it sound better than it really was. No, I'll, I'll finish up on this, and then we'll bring in our guest. But the, sad, the reason why I want to bring this up is because the saddest part of that story is that in 1999, you you had hopes of moving out to Hollywood and some shit was going to go down and it was going to be exciting. I mean, like it was going to be pretty much your life was going to be on the Sunset Strip. There was oh, going to be a star man, on Hollywood dude. Boulevard. You, you were going to be yeah. hanging out in Beverly Hills and pools. Same idea that I had in 2000. Yet here mm. we were in 2016 sitting in my basement, Hollywood adjacent, watching a movie about a fastball. Trying to major turn it up baseball. so I can drown out your snoring. <laughs> I fell asleep. It's all. It's That's, all. That is how it really works. Hollywood is romance, people. It's all. Do you want me to play the romance. song again? Because I feel God, like that song put you. I that... feel like I could bookend this yep. and just wrap this show up. Oh, it's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's bring in our guest. All right, guys, we have a great show for you today. It won't be like our mandate. People will not be uh, falling asleep. This will be action packed. In the studio with us uh, for this episode is. Writer, comedian, and landscaper Betty Cahill Hyphen Coleman. I'm only applauding the landscaping park because, boy, do I need help at this house. I just uh, need she it. She had right? nothing but good things to say I about your yard really? and your, your tree out there. That you have the out tree? There? We don't have She's enough shade. It, it could get hot. John, the one thing John doesn't like about this specific studio, also known as my nephew's basement, also known as the basement in our house, or our nephew's bedroom, <laughs> yeah. when he stays here, is uh, it can get hot in here because we don't have enough shade. John gets yeah, very upset. Some, you need some uh, kind of shadiness happening out there. Yeah, but yeah. But over there, you've got lovely shade. There is some good shade over there. I happened to um, unfortunately build my little um, office uh, on the other side of that shade. Mm-hmm. So basically, I was like, "Where is the sun penetrating the most?" Let's like, put right that here. Let's put it. Right. Put the shack <laughs> we, here. We tried doing this, this show in there once, and I thought we were going to die. It was like one of those sweat lodges that oh. they want people die. I hallucinated. <laughs> I saw uh, my Native American uncle. <laughs> Yeah, I'm all about the shade in this climate. Oh, yeah. Screaming hot out there. Uh, The landscape's on fire, literally. 
It literally uh, is. is yeah, it California's still, got some massive fires right now, everybody. We, we were joking about all the postings that people put on Facebook and all the videos that they post and stuff like that. Obviously, for a lot of us, if you live in Los Angeles and you know enough people in LA, there's been a lot of postings of pictures and videos mm-hmm. of the fires. But you know, I had gotten the, the soot crowd, uh, um, cloud had come this way and was basically snowing all the ash two days ago, but then it was gone. So I assume those fires were done, but they're not done they're, from when I, the, the wind changed, basically. They've only contained it, I think, 10 or 15 or 20% or something low. Like, Ooh, yeah, that's it, not good. But the wind did shift. It did. Because now the sky's blue. It looks like a beautiful day. As it should be by me, because I don't have to deal with it. Yeah, right? well, that's the thing. I was just talking to my mom, and I said that, well, there's no smoke in my neighborhood anymore, but the poor people who live in the neighborhood where the wind shifted to are getting it all. They're getting all this tons of smoke. So yeah. do you guys get the phone calls from family every time there's a big oh, fire yeah. the tv oh, fire definitely you get tv fire phone calls definitely. uh i yeah usually it's more of a mention in a text at this point um oh, okay good so you're you're pretty much so like, you're, you and you i are still love okay? more okay uh is the fire like they think it's on your block right is it affecting and, you and hallelujah it's not on my block right but, exactly um now, do you live close enough to any mountains where it could potentially ever happen to? Are you like I'm far enough away that I don't think it would ever I think, really? Yeah, you you you're surrounded by greenery. Yeah, There's a little bit of dry uh, hillside over there, but it's far. No. Yeah, and my neighborhood is a flat neighborhood oh, okay. yeah. that's got a lot of greenery and people water their lawns still. So, oh. um, mm-hmm. you know, do you want the drought? You want to give your address <laughs> so we, so, they, <laughs> so everyone can get fined? No, that's okay. <laughs> it's like. Um, uh, just crazy how all this fire shakes out. But it is the people in the hillsides who are more affected yeah. than the people in the regular flat neighborhoods. It's interesting. You're from the Midwest originally? Yes. Yeah, it's interesting the things that, based on where you live, what you get used to. Now, they would always call this earthquake country, but I really haven't... I've been out here since 2000, as I mentioned. I really haven't felt too much in the earthquake. We've had no real big earthquakes We've had more fires than we have earthquakes, yeah. But, like, uh, we come from, I guess, would be... Tornadoes. Tornado country. Oh, so man. Twisters, yeah. tornadoes. And um, and really really intense thunderstorms, which lightning. I love a good thunderstorm. Do you, do you yeah. miss? How long have you lived out? Do you miss it? I've lived in California for eighteen years, and um, I do. I miss the thunderstorms. When I go back to Chicago, I look forward to a nice summer thunderstorm. Yeah, it's, it's a buildup. It's so dramatic, and it really does feel good. Like it's like the buildup, and then it's like a release. The sky explodes, and the lightning is so pretty. And then afterwards, everything smells so beautiful. Yes, can you tell I'm like nature gal? <laughs> no, that's good though. Yeah, but out here, it's basically when it rains, it's like oh, someone <laughs> turned on the sprinkler, right? And then they turned yeah. it off. That's it. Like yeah. basically, it just sprinkles, and, and then it brings out the urine in the <laughs> sidewalk. <laughs> It's a yeah, real it's nice. A, uh, the winters LA are better rain. here. When you get a oh, winter well, rain, then it looks nicer around here. here. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Because like, yeah. I don't. Like, I shouldn't use that word. I don't really know what we should call it out here. The though. winter. It's, it's jacket well, season. It's definitely during <laughs> the winter anymore. months in the northern hemisphere. But um, dropping science, everybody. Dropping like, science. <laughs> kind of like um, what I tell everyone is like my favorite part growing up in Chicago was always Indian summer when you got those cool, crisp. Perfect days, like 68 degrees and sunny. And that's what we get for six months in the yeah. winter out here. Is yeah. Crispy, perfect, sunny. I love it. I love and winter And hopefully out here. a 
couple of good rainstorms, which we need. We need, yeah. And then you get to see the snow on the mountains. Which yes, is so exactly. Beautiful. Yeah. So pretty. And you don't have to shovel it because it's way up there. Yeah. And you can just wear a light jacket. Yeah. I like it. I like wearing long <laughs> sleeves. I yeah, just, do you do? I yeah. can look forward to the yeah, winter. Yeah, it's great. My Brian, other, you love covering your arms. My, well, yeah, but I hate my arms. That's why I cover them. Not because I want to, you know, though I have invested in a lot of like, Long sleeve shirts mm-hmm. and an occasional knit cap, mm-hmm. maybe a sports knit cap. And yeah. I and I and I'm mad that I ne- th- these days I don't remember the last time I was I, putting on a long sleeve anything yeah. oh, for the sake of doing it. And I can't be one of those like Hollywood hipsters that wears the knit cap when it's like 102 degrees no. outside. I I, I I have nothing to well, prove. Also, you can't be a Hollywood hipster. <laughs> you're not you're not gonna pass as a Hollywood hipster. Yeah, no I'm one's, sorry. No I one's know. I just, that. I just met you, Brian, but, but. I apologize, but you're not. Not a Hollywood hipster guy, so but that's good. We do appreciate the V-neck. No, well, yeah, well, that's just <laughs> you know, cool. I'm more dressed like my, my uh, the top part of me is dressed like a 1950s dad, where you, they always took off the dress uh-huh. shirt to yeah. mow the lawn. But I, I'm big into sweatpants now and sweatshorts. I so 1950s dad meets 80s mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing leg warmers. I don't know. I just picture you doing jazzercise. <laughs> jazzercise. Your outfit is a mashup. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Jazzercise. So you, are you originally from Illinois? Yes, I'm from the south side of Chicago. So no, do you say Sox Illinois as well? Wait. I say Illinois. What do you say? Illinois. Illinois. Okay. No S. Are you, well, from, no. Wis- are you from Wisconsin? I grew up in uh, Glenview, and then I moved to Wisconsin when I was eight, but I, I, call, it, I call it Illinois. We, we say like Illinois. It's, we say you like guys it's E-L, Illinois. Illinois. I say Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm an L. Yeah. Illinois. We, we ill it. I don't enunciate. I I have terrible enunciation. That people when I say my name's Betty, they always say, "Oh, Betty!" Like they think I said two D's instead of two T's. <laughs> so I have to say Betty, you know, <laughs> which sounds so stupid. You think if I heard someone say Betty, I'd be like, "Oh, your name's Betty." A, yeah, who's, who's ever spelled? Do you hear anybody that spelled it B E D D Y? Got a nickname? Yeah, like people. I was depressed for five years and Somebody didn't get out of out of bed, so they called yeah, me Betty. Betty, like, and I know. I know. You'd think right away you'd go to Betty. Like, yeah. it's a person named Betty. Yeah. Not Betty. Yeah. Or one person even one time said Buddy, but I was like, yeah. okay, okay, I need okay. to go to speech therapy. No, you need to stop <laughs> being friends with that person. Yeah, at that some mean, point, that person like... needs Q-tips. <laughs> the fuck? Q-tips are bad for you. Don't you want to read on are. Facebook? You know, get stuck in your throat. Here, wait, wait a second. <laughs> where do you put them? Q-tips where do you... get stuck in your throat? I, if I don't Q-tip my ears, it's like I, I feel like I, ha- I haven't like. I you said that person eats Q-tips. No, 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 no. I said they Sorry. need, they need Sorry. Q-tips. Because I couldn't hear you. So, but you've heard about the thing about you're not supposed to use Q-tips. Have you read about that? Where like they say it's bad, and they said that the whole point of earwax is it's supposed to be there. It's it's like you know it's like nose hairs. Like as much as we all hate them, I trim the shit out of those too. I'm not leaving my nose hairs because they're good for me. Well, then you know what? You're trimming your filter, buddy. Okay, hey, I'm well, just saying you're just letting more in. That's what they're saying. Well, oh, here's yeah. a here's a new thing I had to start doing. You know those old men that basically have a mustache growing out of both their nostrils? Yeah, they they're they they're, need... they're they're taking care of themselves. Well, they're, and yeah, okay, in a different not, way. It's kind of they're not nasty. grooming, kind yeah. of. Here's what I here's what I had to do the other day, because I do trim. I have a little razor thing uh-huh. goes goes up my nose and does trim my nostrils. Away. Yeah, uh, had to use it on my ears the other day. Well, that's I mean, a new thing for me. 
There you go, old timer. I'm like, what is this? I got a long <laughs> hair coming out of my fucking ear. Okay. I went crazy. So this is this is a good question that, that I have for you, Bed D. I I want to... Bed D. <laughs> Bed D. Thank you for getting my name right. <laughs> Everyone is thinks that, it's with T's. That's when I knew like the like a lot of the over forty things that the, just the natural changes in the human body. Like was that when I would go get my hair cut, part of the thing was cutting anything. They, no, they would start. They would they would feel necessary to trim your eyebrows and your ear hair. Mm-hmm. And I had ne- it was I remember the first time. I it was very oh. jarring because, like, you're just so like wet willy with a razor. Nobody ever had to do that before. Why are you? you but they, they felt compelled. Like it's time. Your, you your, your journey has reached this and point. You were probably like, I'm not ready for this. I, I no one scheduled it in. No, no one told me. Right. It wasn't no, I, on my calendar. But that's like when you have to get the old prostate, or you're not ready for that either. Well, and I'll say, I also do because of my hairstyle. I go to. Is that what we're calling I get it? my hair cut by Armenians because they have, they, they know how they to know cut my how hair. To work that fro. And and so I think for them again, you know, more traditionally hairier people which i am i come from multiple generations of hairy people mm-hmm. so i think they're just for them they're like that's just part of the deal it yeah, goes in dude. Yeah. but what i was going to ask you was that for a woman is there anything close to related to that when you go in to get your hair done where like there's a new thing that they bring up that you never expected um, or are women a little bit more sensitive to that stuff and uh, you're 26 now yeah so maybe we let her I'm mature a little 52 and a half and a half. Still <laughs> celebrating half birthdays, are we? Yeah, always. Fair enough. I love my birthday. And I don't love getting old, but I don't care. I always say the half. Because yeah. We can only live in denial so long, right? Why? We just accept what we got. And I'm not going to lie about my age. I'm old. so <laughs> I don't think that's... But as I, I don't feel that's old anymore. No, I don't think so either. I mean, if you were like, I I'm 95, I'd be like, holy shit, you're 95. That's crazy. I still feel kind of like... <laughs> 32 exactly. or 35 and, or something. And you're active. Like you, I mean, this landscaping thing isn't just like a yeah, fun side project. Oh, like, she just threw the guns out. Sun's out, guns out. <laughs> Sun's out, guns no, out, that's guys. Like, you do get good a good workout doing landscaping. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, that's I'm, no joke. Yeah, it's, it's hard work. This is good, though. You're outside, fresh air. But uh, back to your question about what goes down for the ladies as far as barber and beauty... I'm trying to think like do they start discussing hair color like is it like what well, is the one thing that they you're get a woman you dye your hair from the time you're like 20 for me I started lightening my hair when I was like 22 or 23 so that why do most women not like their natural color like I noticed my wife does that too like she's not she's not graying or anything like that she'll say she is but she's not but she's she's always coloring her hair something doing something to it it's I don't know if it's kind of is. uh well like my hair is kind of I grew up blonde but then as you get older it gets kind of like mousy blonde like it just doesn't really have a real distinctive color so it's kind of fun to play with the color okay since you're a woman and it's totally you know it's a-okay women can have pink hair purple hair i love all the new hair colors now it's amazing um so, but I just always go with my same blonde color. <laughs> Saying that, she's like, yeah, but I, but I, just, I stay and with them. And I do that. notice a few grays now. And I guess the only thing is you get like a crazy gray hair. Like you'll have just One kind that's of, like really... You'll have like soft, like your normal <laughs> grayish kind of mousy brown hair. And then just a crazy hair, white. And a white one that just sticks out. And yeah. you're like... Jesus Christ, where are the tweezers? <laughs> but then you pull that thing, because I get it in my beard. But they're does, coarse, too. They're not it, normal hair, sticks, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, like fishing a, line. It's a harder it's hair. Like, it's like and thick like, fishing line. You're like, this what is, is this? insane. Yeah. And why is it on me? Yeah. How did why? I grow this? <laughs> Who put is this here? Is this Who's part here? of some web serum I drank? I'm going to be like Spider-Man in a week? When you pluck it out, you're like, okay. 
I took care of that. Do you, do you save That'll them? never no. come back. Do you save them in your in your what the fuck was this jar? No. Okay. I, I don't I don't save any kind of gross stuff like that. But <laughs> which is good because that, good, because if that's you the did, first sign like, of I save other things. I save. I have so many different things I collect. I can see Such you have beautiful as? collectibles. Oh, yes. Well, we, oh, that, that's that's, that's what we call the trophies of... Un, that's the unearned wall of trophies over so there. So you just those, get those... Tro- I was wondering, could you just find those or people... They're my... I love them because they're my... A lot of those... Some of them are mine. The, the front ones are mine. Mm-hmm. And a couple of them are my wife's. But the all the, lar- all the really cool looking ones in the way back... Like those the cool are, one with the cop on it? Yes. I love my, that My wife's grandfather was a police officer, so a lot of those are his... They, they nice. had like shooting competitions, stuff like that. The, the, the massive ones that look like the Holy Grail, uh-huh. those... And you can't see one that's back there, which is my favorite, is the guy with a briefcase award. Oh, nice. <laughs> those are traveling salesman awards. Nice. That's like back when you could do door-to-door and all that kind of stuff. Only, if only... <laughs> If only they could never do that again. Yeah, let's, I can't. Not, let's not bring that path you back. Do you still get people that knock sucks. on your door? It, it freaks me out when people knock yeah, on my door. Yeah, I don't like it. Sometimes I have neighbors who have like signs, no soliciting, and I, we don't have that. But there are people who think that they're going to knock on your door and get this big uh, house fix-it contract. <laughs> like they're going to do your oh, roof they, and oh, paint the, everything. Oh, they come by like, like, yeah. Dude, I'm so happy you came by. We do need some work done. Like, I'm not going to hire somebody who's Yeah, chances are I'm going to go door. towards something called the internet and look up yeah, someone on there with a website. The reviews. Yeah, and, and hear like, from other people and make an informed decision. Exactly. The guy yeah. showed up. He wanted to re-roof the house. I said, yeah, we don't it's, need shingles, but go yeah, crazy. Yeah. So we'll go back to a time when door-to-door was acceptable. Let's go back in, in, in timer. So you so you grew up again where? South side of Chicago. Okay. Always a, a White Sox fan? Um. I am a White Sox fan mostly, but my nana, who I'm named after, Betty Blance, was a Cub fan. And her husband, my grandpa, was a White Sox fan. Your grandma so, sounds like a smart, strong, intelligent, <laughs> wonderful loved human the being. Cubs. And so I never went against the Cubs because I love my nana. As you should. May she rest in peace. Nana, nana. we love you. Um, but I never went against the Cubs because she loved them so dearly that I couldn't. But I always would, if I had a choice to watch a game, I would watch the White Sox. Although Harry Carey was pretty entertaining. Uh, but he's going to say, Harry Carey, Channel 44. We, we, and yeah. he was, was, uh, those were the days. And he was with the White Sox before you were a fan, probably. Oh, yeah. And, and she, I think you're right. Yeah, he announced, and then he came to the north side. Uh, all right, calm down with all the, you know, the LeBron James. I'm taking my talents to yeah, the north Harry side. Yeah, Harry Carey took his Budweiser to the north, north side. side. And she always had a little black and white TV in the kitchen. Yeah. So she'd be working at the counters, and there was an oval table with, like, chairs around it, and then the little tiny TV in the corner, always <laughs> oh. on. Especially if you went there on a summer afternoon, that thing would be on, and it was just magic. It was like, this the, is home. Yeah, <laughs> and that was back when baseball was always on. Mm-hmm. On television, so yeah. th- and that's one of the big reasons why the Cubs became so popular. The White Sox played. I think they only did half of their games on TV, where the Cubs. But they were every all local. Single game. The Cubs went every single game, and then across the country on WGN. Correct, but but initially just for people that grew up in that area. Um, yeah, White Sox one of the things games that were that not on very not a, not as much. Oh. Way more. They were more the colorful, like rough and tumble team, if you will. The Win Cubs ugly. are the lovable. You know, the, I, I remember watching the Cubs or the, the White Sox game. When Cubs games weren't on, I would watch Cubs game or White Sox games on Channel 44. I'd have to kind of tune a little bit with my UHF thing there. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was back when they were wearing the black. Um, they had the black jerseys with the white sleeves. Yeah. 
yeah, that, kind yeah. of like the old Comiskey Park, uh, the uh, Bill Veck years when he yeah. uh, was floating around still there. That was that's kind of what I remember, and a little bit of Harry Carey, and then he jumped over to the Cubs pretty quick. But when I started watching it, yeah, yeah my dad's a big White Sox fan, and uh, my husband's a huge White Sox fan, so. From, is he that. from there, or is it because of you? No, my husband's a South Side of Chicago He's a South Side person. Too. We grew up a few miles away from each other, but we didn't meet till we were. He was twenty five, and I was twenty six. And, and did you meet out here? Or did you meet in Chicago? We met in Chicago oh, okay. in uh, McNapier's advanced improv class. Ah, yeah, and um, that those were good times. What what led you to improv? Um, well, I was studying film at Columbia College, and. Uh, I always felt like I needed to get to be a better writer, you know, as a filmmaker. And so, and I haven't made a movie in a year and a half, which the last one I made was a short little commercial, which I am proud of. Nice. But um, And also there are people who can say that they've never made a movie, so <laughs> a year and a half isn't really that long ago. Oh, They're saying it, do it. I feel yeah. like I got to get back on it because I do love making movies. It's fun. I'm, I'm good at Final Cut. I love editing. I nice. Love, I love doing all of it. But anyway, in film school, I was like, how can I get to be a better writer? I need to be able to just make these characters talk easier and just figure it out, get to the story quicker. And then one of my friends suggested that I take an improv class at uh, Improv Olympic, which was Sharna and Del Close's uh, operation and still is Sharna's. And she's, you know, running it very nicely. And Del Close was really interesting to learn from. Yeah, not. I mean, and through that, I met Mick Napier because one night Del missed class, and Mick had to sit in and substitute teach for us. And I learned so much about improv that night. Really? Yeah. He Mick Napier is an awesome improv teacher. Yeah. And um, so then I became one of the members of his Annoyance Theater, which uh, was really fun. Just great, great times. And did you, was your husband involved in that too? <clears throat> yes, my, I think um, my husband's Michael Coleman, and he's uh, he's on Drunk History. He he's plays uh, a lot of historical characters yeah. on all the different episodes, and uh, he's also a member of Beer Shark Mice. So he was taking improv class while I was taking improv class. I would say Beer Shark Mice is the most famous improv group at I.O. Yeah, okay, I yeah. think so. Okay. And they're definitely one of the most entertaining improv groups I've ever seen. Like, just consistently is, making you laugh your ass off. Which is great. And that is why they're probably the best, is because they're consistent. Whereas a lot of improv can be... Hit or miss. Excruciatingly painful to <laughs> yes, watch. I, I've been at I mean, some you of must have shows. seen... I've been in those shows. Uh, yeah. It's like... I'm having an uncomfortable time on stage. Yeah. The audience must be wanting to scratch their eyes out. Right. And that is really like, that's one of the downfalls of improv is it's, you can't guarantee that the show is going to kick ass. But for some reason with the beer sharks, they're always funny. Well, they always have the same group. Right. So, so they work well together already. Are, yeah. It's a like bunch a farm of guys team. who work well together. They're really friends in real life. And so, yeah. So they get they each just, other's sensibilities and then even if the show might not be at 100% and the audience might, they're still having fun. Exactly. And when you can see that, it becomes less about, well, these jokes aren't hitting, but like, look how like it becomes it's like... It's fun. Yeah. Because you're in a room where fun is happening. <laughs> and even if they're just goofing off and messing with each other, 
You and can it's feel not it. like yeah. high concept or whatever. Right. You can feel, you know, everyone in the audience is relaxed. It, no one's feeling uncomfortable. It's like, it's a good time. It's yeah. fun. Nice. Okay. Let's take a step back, though. Why, why filmmaking? Where, where did that drive come from? I don't... It's a very I, small we, niche, as you know, even, even smaller than doing improv, I think, because a lot of people want to be performers, but a lot of people don't think about filmmaking. I think it was because... Um, I got to take this, when I was a kid, I got to take this Disney magnet workshop mm-hmm. on the south side of Chicago. No, I was an honor student. And so I got... Nerd. To, I am a nerd. <laughs> I'm a huge nerd. And um, I got to take this workshop and we learned all these different art forms. We learned, how, you know, movie making and sound recording. We oh, learned, wow. We learned set building and costume design and we learned all this stuff. And then I also... In high school, since I was an, uh, you know, an advanced student, I got this like program that was available to me, where I could take a radio and TV workshop downtown at WBEZ Radio. So I got to do that when I was junior and senior year of high school. So I got to go to every Thursday, go to WBEZ radio station and do stuff like this, like what we're doing now, which is. so fun back yeah, then. And, learn, and, and just learning. Here. We'll it. find out. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, and then you just get to learn. Like, there, there and, was none of that when so I was in high school. Yeah, so then it just inspires you, like, oh, there's more jobs than just the person who you're looking at on the picture. You can be there's involved. There's all these different yeah. jobs, and they're all fun jobs. And you don't necessarily have to be the one that they're pointing the camera at. And, you know, you don't have to look pretty all the time. You don't have to, you know, worry if your hair is out of place or. Yeah. Whatever. So I just kind of, plus I'm just like, a, I'm very creatively driven. And I think if you like, no insult to actors, but when people are like just an actor, it's kind of more um, ego driven. Is that? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, yeah. No. That's a no. It's and a... so I'm more just like, I want to make stuff. I'm sewing all the time. Best idea wins. Let's make this as, p- as good as possible. I like making stuff. Yeah. And so, um, and I don't always necessarily like the sound of my voice on a tape recorder or the way I look in a picture. So I don't know. That's is that answer your why filmmaking? Yeah. Well, it, it was just interesting. I mean, it's filming. Go, like I, I took filmmaking in uh, at UWM. It was avant-garde filmmaking, so I was kicked out because oh I was doing God. narratives. But um, <laughs> Brian, the avant-garde but, filmmaker. Shame me. <laughs> yeah, they grade they grade you out. They're like, you might want to find another career, but it was fine. I mean, What's listen, with some all of, the story, Brian. Some, yeah. some What's <laughs> with the understanding of the plot, Brian? Yeah. Not enough jump cuts to this weird black and white frog being crucified. I will. I will tell you. I they're very well regarded. Used to be. I don't know now, but they were very well regarded avant garde film school. And I will say you in hindsight. That it was, it made sense because avant-garde filmmaking does have it, as you know this as a director, it does have an effect on look and style mm-hmm. and what you're trying to do in the narrative. So it actually is good to learn it because it does help you with storytelling. Mm-hmm. Where I crossed over was that I couldn't help myself. I needed to have closure within the films. And avant-garde yeah. filmmaking is no. not interested in basically having a beginning and a middle and an end, and I couldn't, I could it's not relieve myself loop. of the structure. But I do appreciate, in the end, regardless of being kicked out, I do appreciate the fact that I was exposed to stuff that I may never have seen in my entire life. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's good. Yeah. Any kind of art training is like you're going to get to be a better artist, no matter what your your classes are. You yes, know? and by the way, my product was shit. I should still have been kicked <laughs> out, even if I had made avant garde. My, my the two films that I made. We're not good films, but I will also say, 
avant-garde filmmaking does bring out some disturbing individuals, and you learn some stuff about them. And you're like, what's going on here? Why do yeah. you have a what? movie of Hitler having <laughs> sex with a donkey? Just because you can... filmmaking. Okay. See, that's where I, that's where I did a lot of avant-garde filmmaking. I was like, just because you can do it doesn't, doesn't mean, mean you should exactly. do it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So we're gonna be screening Brian's avant-garde some... films. I'm gonna rent out a theater. There was some. Crazy screenings at Columbia College when I was there. It was it was always fun though. But so you um um were you because of when you were there? I mean the digital era didn't really take off until the mid two thousand. So you had to learn how to do the old classic like the film. I cut it, splice it with the tape. Sixteen millimeter film with a razor blade. And what's the machine with the uh, I forget what it's called? Steenback. Steenback the German. Yes. There's also just the old hand cranky hand cranky things. I love those. Can I be honest with you? I miss that time. I really did. It was the one thing I didn't necessarily really enjoy because film, as you know, shooting on film, film was very delicate in the lighting and how you oh, did stuff yeah. and not yeah. really knowing what you got until you got it developed yeah. and got it later. And then you'd get these beautiful surprises. Yes. Speaking of avant-garde film. Yes. Like I used to love shooting on color reversal film and when the um, leader goes through and, you know, your camera gets like a little flash of light. And you get these beautiful, like, mistakes that yes. look like a painting, you know, and you get all these stills and you're like, how can I use this, you know? And, of course, I love story, too, so it would be like, oh, well, that's a glaring mistake, so it'll throw people out of the moment. You can't really use it. But as far as the actual images go, it's absolutely gorgeous, some of the stuff you would get on real film. And, it, and, and wouldn't you agree that that style of, of, of editing as well, you really had to be focused because you can't oh, yeah. keep cutting this stuff. I mean, this cutting you and taping. And- you have to go over it and over and over it before you put that razor blade through. Otherwise, you end with, up with having to tape in a frame. Yes. And then it'll oh. always get stuck in the projector. Yes. Uh. And then burn your film. Yeah. And so that frame <laughs> those, that those you needed back cool. is now gone forever, forever unless you made a lot of work prints and whatever but which as a student you didn't afford a lot of work prints so yeah cost wise <laughs> though i prefer digital filmmaking yes well because you, you can, can make something without having to spend your entire savings on the film stock yeah True. on the actual and you don't material. run out of room but i think back yeah. then you learned very quickly and, th- and this kind of goes back to the editing thing you learn very quickly if you can just sit there and really focus on the pe- repeat kind of thing mm-hmm. And back then, the only difference between now and then is it was just very touchy-feely, the way you did it with, you yeah. know, have, putting the gloves on and doing all the splicing and doing the work and, and, and spinning it back and forth in your little tiny yeah. monitor and, and really it, hours, hours, hours of detail work. If you and can't the, handle that, you needed to get out. And the details could go on forever because I took like an optical printing class. And so I was trying to make like fades and different things with, you know, playing with two different pieces of film stock and, you know, layering them together and then striking a print off of that. Like, just, there's so much detail that went into old-fashioned actual film footage filmmaking. And it's interesting that with that conversation with you to see how you transitioned into doing improv. I mean, granted, it was... A recommendation, but the fact it's it, were you kind of one of those people that if someone was like, you should try this, were you kind of always open to like see what's going on here? If you felt like it was a, a way to kind of help, like you said, you like creating things or building mm-hmm. things if you were making things. Is that why you kind of had such an open mind? Is you think that's where it came from because you thought that it could help with the end product and anything that you did? Yeah, and I, I especially liked the concept of learning improv because, um, uh, my first year of college was 
at DePaul University. I went to college for six years. I went to liberal arts at uh, DePaul University for one year and studied all sorts of amazing anthropology and all sorts of cool stuff. Then I went to Roosevelt University because they had a theater department. And I, want, you know, I was an actor, and I always have been an actor, and so I wanted to study acting there, and that was really fun. But then I was really starting to notice at that time a lot of the scripts that were laying around in the acting department, and even though some of our instructors were women, they were all like written by men, and all the parts for the women sucked. And not n- not across the board, but, but it's a, a, it's a male voice that doesn't understand. In plays back then, especially, it was all dudes. And I was like, well, I want to tell stories, you know, about me and my friends and my girlfriends and my aunts and my moms and my cousins. Women and, and women you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. No, but I mean, but that but that makes sense. I mean, you're if you're not seeing anything written. For for your voice. You're not seeing anything yeah. written for people that you relate to, that you understand. That and, and that made me just not want to even do it. Right. Like, I would audition for a play, and I'd be, like, phoning it in. Like, I don't because, want this part. Because literally, your part is, hello, hi, and you're answering phones. Yeah. And oh, hi, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> now, this is, so this is, this is what you're saying. This is, this is genuine. But let me ask you this question. Was it easy to cross over? Because obviously you're talking about a time that obviously seemed to be built more male-driven. And here, here you are going, eh, this is kind of what I want to do. That couldn't have been... E- it's never easy it in the first hard. place. I was When I first started improv class, I was... Um, Susan Messing and I and a few other women were the only women in these classes of like 20 or 30 guys. And the guys were great. They were funny. And there's some of them are still my friends to this day. I married, you know, one of my besties from class. And um, and now there's a lot more women who do improv training and who go through it. But at the time, it was very hard. And Del Close was a notorious misogynist. Yeah. Like, in class, a couple nights, he would start off class saying, okay, we've got some women here. <laughs> We all know women aren't funny. So. Oh my god! And you and I would just be sitting there smiling, like I'm going to prove you wrong, Fuck motherfucker. Off, buddy, <laughs> but, yeah. but that, but that's you. I could only imagine how many women he broke by. Oh, by, he broke a, quite a few. Which is I so think. unfair of it's people mean. that are trying to pursue a, a, a career or a dream, and the first guy that walks in the room goes, "You're not women just women aren't go. funny." Yeah. I know. Um, but yeah, so but I kind of knew he was wrong because I know that I am funny. Right. And not the most hilarious person in the world, but I do make people laugh, and uh, I tend to hang around with a lot of funny people, so I can always gauge it. Like if I make my husband laugh, and he he's one of the funniest people in the whole entire world, right? Then I know that <clears throat> he's not just pretending that I made a joke, he, right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> but it is hard when you're a young woman and you're already like kind of afraid of the world or whatever. You're you know have post-traumatic stress disorder just from people who drive by and catcall you. Yeah. And you have to go out there and strap on your lady pants and, you know, give it all you got and ignore the people who are saying you're going to fail at this, you know, because... I don't take a class to fail at it. Which I is take good. a class to get really good at something. And so when when did you know that you were gonna you were hanging with the big boys and that you, you got you got something here and you were you were gonna continue you know what I mean? Because we all as creative types, we wanna get in, but there's always that 
there's always one foot that may have to kind of step back. I don't know what kind of family you came from, if they were fully supportive, if they already said, hey, you got a soft landing back over here, if this whole artsy thing doesn't work out. Like, I don't know where it stood for you, but when did you know you crossed over? Um, well, one night in Del Close's class, I did make him laugh. And so I knew then, I knew that, because he never would just laugh as, you know, like pandering to anyone. Right. He, he didn't give it away. His, his la- yeah, if, his, if he and laughed, I it was made real. him go, ha! Like a big one. And I was like, all right, I did that. <laughs> Check, <laughs> I bucket that. list. <laughs> right? So, um, and my family was like supportive, but it was like, you know, trying times because I was an artist and I was like, you know, always struggling. Money was always a struggle. And, um, but then I got into a show at the Annoyance called the Miss Vagina Pageant, which Jill Soloway <laughs> directed and Faith, her sister, Faith Soloway and Jill Soloway directed a show. Uh, and Jill and as, is the creator is the of Transparent creator. and was a head writer on Six Feet Under. Yes. And is and one of the nicest people in town one of the, and yes, super funny. And she's awesome and she's so such an amazing artist yeah. and her show is beautiful and funny and yet it breaks your heart. Right. She's awesome. But anyway, through that through being in that show in 1990-91, Lorne Michaels came to see it. Boom. And I, I ended up getting hired on Saturday Night Live. For okay, that, that's, for one year. That's a quick jump, though. So let me ask you: Was there ever intent? So here, here you are. Yes, you're acting. Yes, you're interested in filmmaking. Um, most people that we've ever talked to that have tried to get on Saturday Night Live or whatever, especially being in comedy or sketch, they they had a very specific path, and they knew that it led to trying to get into that position where they could be seen by Lorne Michaels. Was that what was going on with you at that time, or was this just happenstance that you were kind of, a, you were involved in something that you just enjoyed, and that came of it? That's a good question, because there was a time uh, when we were all coming up at The Annoyance, and other groups were coming up at Second City, and there were other improv groups, uh, Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind, all these different theater groups in Chicago. And they all wanted Lorne Michaels to come see their show. And people did ask me, how come you don't go and try and get on main stage at Second City so that you can try and be on Saturday Night Live? And I was like, well, I'm never going to be on Saturday Night Live. And I'm really having fun at the annoyance. So I'm just going to do because that's who I am. I always want to do my own thing. I always want to do the thing that's, that's fun that I'm enjoying. And I wasn't going to go through all the machinations to try and be a big shot at second city when I was already having a blast at the annoyance and doing work that cracked me up and made me laugh. And so I just, you know, never tried that route. And luckily choosing to have fun ended up, getting me, you know, a job that a lot of other people wanted at the same time. So I was very lucky. Now take me through if that experience. Was it one of those things everybody knew he was coming? And did it change the dynamic that night? Do you remember a lot about that night and how it all played out? I don't remember a ton, but I do remember that he, it was, um, Lorne Michaels is coming to town. He's going to scout the women at Second City. And then all of a sudden the scuttlebutt, because there, no te- there was no texting back then. There were no right. cell phones. You had it's to all have word of mouth, phone word calls. Word of mouth, phone calls, and in-person conversations. Good Lord. The yeah. humanity. 
How did you people survive? <laughs> Talk to someone face to face? Fuck that. Let me guess. You guys ate too? <laughs> and without taking pictures of your food? I don't understand how <laughs> that's possible. There was like a big hubbub. There was a big buzz because once the word got out, oh, Lorne Michaels is coming here too. And, you know, he's going to be here for our nine o'clock show, which I think we ended up doing two shows that night. And, um, and it was mostly the people at our theater were like, this is great. Like, we have Lorne Michaels coming to our, you know, grungy, super hole-in-the-wall, but funky, cool, fun theater. Right. To see our creation that, you know, we all created together. Because <clears throat> we wrote the show through improv. Mm -hmm. the, the Soloway sisters directed it, and they would give us notes based on, like, Try a scene about this. Try a scene where you and Becky Thayer are lovers. Try this. Try that. And But then we would improvise all the dialogue and then script it that way. That's how we always created our annoying wow. shows. Yeah, it's a fun process yeah. because it's very loose. And so you're, you're writing in rehearsal. You're writing the show. And then the fun thing, too, about that is you can kind of tweak your lines if um, if you s paraphrase it a different way on one night and it gets a bigger laugh, you, you can, can change keep it. that yeah. or go back to a way that worked two nights, you know, yeah. two shows ago. So you find out he's coming that night, though. Do so you, does we it, found out during the day that day. Does it affect, did it, did, did, did anybody, you or anybody else, did, did, you, did anybody tighten up? Because I know that's a big thing when someone's being seen versus just doing it on any other fun night and, and, and how much improv was still in that set that night or did you, did you know or, or everything was always business as usual and this is... Um, we definitely were all about doing our show the same way we had been doing it. Okay. <clears throat> because we, um, we had been killing it like we had and that word of mouth yeah that word of mouth so is why he was coming hundreds to see of you people you know lining up outside our theater okay. to see not only our show which um the soloway sisters started at our theater with the real life brady munch and so that was a massive sensation with lines going all the way down the block and then the miss vagina pageant they created as an original show after that which the brady munch was very original but it was scripted from television scripts mm -hmm. <clears throat> anyway, I think the main difference that night was we all probably put on more makeup and made our hair prettier <laughs> than any other show <laughs> of our run. You know, yeah. like we all were like... Everyone was ready for their close-up, Mr. DeVille? Yeah, we DeVille. wanted him to notice us and think that, he, you know, we'd be the right one for him to put on his show. And so... Um, so at that point, you were like, fine, he's coming. I'm, I'm willing to take the shot at that nervous. point. Yeah, like, I was nervous. Yeah, I was... We were all nervous. We okay. were shaking Which in our Which is boots. totally okay now. Yeah, when you look back totally on it, normal. that's... It's, it's called anxiety, like performance yeah. anxiety, as like you should be. 25 years old, 26 years old. I was like a little kid. <clears throat> and in your in your mind <laughs> that night was was it extra special for you in any way, shape, or form? Did you know that you were on? Did, were you fire? You know, like some performers sometimes when you do something, you know when you're firing on all cylinders, yeah. and you're like, bam, ooh, ooh, I've got the I audience is with there. me tonight. They when, just know. Yeah, because the audience was super excited about it too. Because they, oh, they knew. Yeah, he okay. was in our audience. You can see. I mean, the, the audience isn't that big. Up yeah. In front of the grungy annoyance theater in a giant black limousine with Quincy Jones. There's no oh, Quincy Jones <laughs> came. Yeah, ah, that's awesome. Yeah, Quincy Jones was there. That's awesome. So there was and no so, I, so that was that's a weird thing because 
the Quincy Jones factor relaxed me for some reason. Interesting. Like, oh, man, he's, he's man, rolling with Quincy. Quincy Jones is here. This is cool. Now I can just perform for Quincy Jones and not worry about that Lauren's here. Yeah. <laughs> hey. that's a, well, whatever that's it good, takes. Though, right? I was that's... like, I'm pretty sure I can make Quincy Jones laugh. <laughs> He seems like a good a good giggler. Yeah, right. Wow, wow. But you didn't. But you did feel that you had it. Well, I think once we started getting laughs, and okay. our show did get a ton of laughs. Okay. like time after time, and so it was it was a funny show. But once we started getting laughs, it just rolled and rolled and rolled. Okay, and then we were all like, "This is great!" Like, and how many it was people really were really fun? And how many people were performing with you that night? So out of the people that could be picked, how many total people were there? Wondering if they were going to get uh, what is it? What is it in Toy Story? The claw. Yeah. The claw. The there University were. Of Toy Story, John. Sorry. Uh, so the women picked, in the show picked. were. I think there were only six of us. Okay. Um, Becky Thayer, Susan Messing, Kate Flannery, um, Madeline Long. Um, oh my God! I'm forgetting somebody, aren't I? No, Becky. You. That makes five. <laughs> stupid anyway i'll remember but there weren't very many okay. of us and the next day he wanted to interview a few of us and oh, okay. i did feel bad that certain people totally got left out of the next of step the of the audition yeah. process and that was not fair he should have interviewed every single girl who was in that show that night but i it's that's not how show business works. It's not how show business works. He's got his system. He's been doing it at that point for so long. And uh, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you feel bad for those people. But then you hear stories of like whole writing teams getting taken and one guy getting left behind. And you're like, oh, that's awful. Like, I know. Did you know that night? Or it wasn't until the next day that you found out that uh, he was interested in you? Uh, when his um, uh, casting person, yeah, when they called me and said he wants to take you and a couple other gals out to lunch uh it'll be two of you today and then two tomorrow and so um susan messing and i went out to lunch with lorne and his casting guy and what is that like by the way you're obviously very familiar with who this person is and the power that they have in an industry and i don't necessarily know if you're the type of person that can pedestal people or if you can still stay you're like it's a human being it's just a, it's another no, I had to strategize because I, at that point I was like, yeah, this, I mean, I did have money struggles. I was like, this will probably be the best paying job I'll ever have. <laughs> um, <laughs> not ever, but, but no, at that le- moment, it leads to better jobs and jobs that I want, like jobs where I can make people laugh. And that's always fun to have a job where you're making people laugh. So um, my strategy for the lunch was, I'm going to listen to whatever he says. I'm not going to say a lot. And if I do say something, it has to be funny. Interesting. So you felt that you did need to be funny in that mm-hmm. interview versus, Definitely. okay. Definitely. And I did make him laugh okay. at that lunch a few times. Wow. So, so my, and that was hard. I was like, had to be on. So. Which is not your, like, you don't go out to lunch with friends and you're on. I don't know how boring I am right now. No, I'm you're not, not boring, but like, you're also, like, to me. on person. I prefer the not on. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't want to hang around somebody who's on all the time. Yeah, that is a drain like that. and it's, it's, a very, it's very irritating. And that was a delicate balance because yeah. I don't like that either. And so I had to say something funny but not be like. Let it go. Like I had to just be chill and, like. Like um, make it seem like everything that you were saying was off the top of your tongue or off the tip of your tongue. It was just all casual. It hilarity. was all improvised because that's right. the gr- that's the great thing that no one knows about improvisation. 
your life is improvised. Yeah. Correct. So, so that memory muscle's there. It's you, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it was it was just like off the top of my head, and I would only say you know a joke if it was appropriate. And you did know. the other person at your lunch talk a lot? Um, well, a little bit. Like I think so we were Susan and I were both nervous, so we were both trying to fill like any empty spaces and you know chat him up and you know make him entertain him and right you know how hard is it to eat in a meeting like that it always drives me nuts when you're because you, that's the other delicate balance of like do i well how what kind of eater am i yeah, like you never watch I have yourself a hamburger, in the mirror get it all over my face yeah, I, like, like, you, should you, i not do i'm not gonna totally have the ribs true. like and lauren michael's like really you're having the ribs totally but it's gotta be yeah, so much harder for a woman i just it, feel like it's you're judged so much harsher on the way you eat is already flip-flopping yeah so, so what are you like, gonna put in there and, and you but you can't be like oh i'm not hungry right so you know you get like a chicken sandwich and yeah, you know, do what you can to eat it. Just eat the fries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nibble, 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 yeah. nibble, nibble. Wait till he's gone and then just box up the yeah. rest. <laughs> yeah, I'll you, you can't take home. the food with, right? You don't ask no, for the, the doggy have, bag. Yeah. It's very tricky. It's very tricky being around the big, powerful people like that. But then there does come a point where you meet one and then another one, another one, and you're like, oh, that's just another person. That's just another guy. It's yeah, just, another dude who wields a lot of I power, wearing a suit. I don't let, I mean, I don't even know, like, I guess I'd be intimidated if President Obama walked in right now. You know? Oh, that's come, funny come, you would say that. Come on in, Barack. We call him Barack. He loves, big fan of the show. When I said I had to go get my kids ready for the show, it was a joke. He it's was actually making sure Secret Service guys, had... Uh, Dream big. He did Mark Marin's podcast, and we are definitely uh, in that same league. <laughs> I would get a lot more shade at my house because they would tent everything to protect him from weirdos. Oh yeah. yeah, they would totally tent it. So, so how how long before you actually find out that? Oh my god, the weeks, winner is weeks and weeks. Okay, so that was okay. So the the stage show was like step one in the audition process. Step two was the lunch. But that was the next day, so that's 24 hours. That's good. Step three was, okay, now uh, the day after the lunch or two days later, they call me again on a landline. Um, <laughs> these are the days. These, this was 1991. And by the way, where are you getting these phone calls? And <laughs> At are, my house, I was sewing. Answer machine, so thank God you were either home. I'm making dresses for a living back then. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm a, I'm a dress designer. So you just oh, happen nice. to always be home. At the time the phone I, calls came in. I was home in. a lot. Yeah, okay, I was good. Because I was wondering, what if you missed the call? I, but, you know. Well, answer we had machine. a machine. Yeah, answer machine or somebody answers times it. I did miss the call, and then I'd play the machine and jump up and down because it was them. Like, <laughs> okay. It was like, okay, so yeah. Good answering machine messages. I don't know where that tape is. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, uh, so then I get a call. Okay, now they, uh, Lauren liked you at lunch, and now... He wants to fly you to New York City to audition um, to do a screen test on Studio 8H. And so you have to prepare three or four short characters, uh, two or three minutes total. Um, And meanwhile, also, could you make us a tape of some of your characters and send that to us as soon as possible? So then my friend Lee Gerstein and I got together with one of his uh, video cameras and we just went around with different costumes and hats and figured out different quick scenarios for me to just play like 
stupid, goofy characters. Were these characters that you had already developed with just doing improv and doing yeah, sketch? Or is this okay? So like, you had something to pull from. You yeah, you like, didn't just immediately oh, come shit. up with three or four new characters that night and then no, be like, oh, I hope no, these work. No, no, they didn't want you to come up with any. They just wanted you to do different characters, different voices, different impressions. Because you know, it's yeah. a show where you could be called upon to do like you know, the first lady or something. Yeah. So they want to see what your range is and okay. what kind of characters you can play and voices you can do and what kind of mimic you are. And so um, I sent the tape as quickly as I could and then went to New York, which was so much fun to be like flown, you know, yeah. first class. You but this is a couple weeks later? It was like... Ten days, I think, after the lunch. So it was think, pretty quickly afterwards wow. and to you, prepare you, for something like that. You were the only were the only one no, out of six? No, Susan Messing came okay, so, too. So two out of the six make it. Did it mess the, the dynamic up for a little while? Were you still doing shows in, d- during all this? And, and did you feel... It, it, I think it did. I mean, okay. it kind of broke some of the girls' hearts, and I don't blame them. It, you know, it was like... This but they didn't, they didn't hold and you. And Melanie Hutzel, duh. That was the other okay. person in our show. Of course, she and I ended up getting hired together. Yeah. Sorry, Mel. Um, so uh, it, it did. Like, so Susan, Melanie, and I went to New York okay. to do the screen test. So that's three of the six. Becky got left out. Kate Flannery, who ended up working on The Office. I was going to say, yeah. And she got left out. And she's they're all great. Yeah. yeah. All these women no, no, look, are talented. There, there are women Becky's like... Becky's super hilarious. Jennifer Aniston auditioned Long. for SNL. Like Lisa Kudrow. There's a lot yeah. of people that didn't get it. That yeah. Their careers ended up just fine. Just fine. Exactly. Yeah. By the way, do you, are you familiar... Um, just taking a step back for a second. Are you... You guys are doing your thing at your theater. Were you familiar with some of these... Um, uh, the improv actors at the other places? Like by word of mouth. Like, oh, so-and-so's crushing it oh, over. Yeah. Like oh, you, yeah. you knew Amy who the Sid- hot hands Amy were at Sedaris that time? Amy was at... At Second City. At the same time you were at Yeah, she was destroying it. And Jackie Hoffman. And there were all these women at... And there were women at my theater who were killing it in other shows. Okay. Jody Lennon. And, I mean, there were people who... um, Jill and Faith asked pretty much anybody, any of the women in the improv community... Okay. ...who wanted to be involved in this show, the Miss Vagina pageant. And I think a few turned it down just because of the title... I'm not positive of that. Wow. But it was a tricky title to tell your parents Promote. about the show that you're in, yeah. especially my dad. I'd be like, do you want to come see that beauty pageant show that I'm in? <laughs> you like, took the I word out. Even, yeah. I not even, you know, which and I know vagina is not a dirty word. I don't care. But it, it was like, you know, that, and that's a brilliant move by Jill because she was like pushing that envelope. Yeah. And yeah. God bless her. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah. people who push envelopes. I think it's cool. Now, and also getting, you know, you talk about, hey, can you send a tape? I just even remember in the early 2000s, late 90s, how it was not easy no, to just wrangle up a tape and do easy. it. Technology is not like. It, it was clunky yeah. and it was bulky. And, but access to it and then putting it together, yeah. all those my steps. My friend Lee Gerstein was one of my besties in film school, and he totally helped me out. He didn't even question it. He was like, yay, let's do this. And so, and he edited it. You know, we looked at all the footage, and we both were like, well, that seems funny, and that seems funny. Put that in, okay. You know, but it had to be done so quickly that it was daunting, like, you need a tape? Ah, uh, I, okay, like, whatever. <laughs> but 
I mean, I came from film school, so it wasn't right. that hard. So here comes one of your... Yeah, they normally do. They come down and ask questions. And, you know, we, uh, they'll make some hand signs to let me know if they Aww, want that. Yep, we'll pause for a second here, just in case. They're super cute. We and we're recorded? we're back. Yeah, we're back. I want to explain to you. Just I, I was going to edit all that stuff up, but I have to tell you. So I went upstairs. My youngest is holding a baseball bat. My oldest is holding the largest knife we have in the house. No good. Yeah, and I was like, "What are you guys doing?" They're like, "There's a noise upstairs." I'm like, "Well, then come and get your dad," which they did. But I don't need you guys to be like a modern day version of the Scooby Doo Gang with yeah. like bats and and a giant knife. Yeah. Oh, so I, thought, I had to give. I thought it was going to be something. I like, had we're to be playing a, a game look, called Hit Knives, and yeah. I throw knives at so them. And I had to give this. I had to I give the speech. They were in a kind of a fight. Like no, they were... never taught. The thing is, they don't do that kind of stuff ever. See, these these are the learning curves. I'm, I'm, everything is a new step. Yeah. But but to go up there and just see one kid standing there with a knife in his hand and be like, all right, okay, we'll have to have a conference. And then he's like, yeah. And then and then I was like, never touch the knife. So yeah, you know, they're the kind of kids that once I I'm like, they knew probably from the beginning, and they're like, once you said it, just solidified it. Like, well, once yeah. you explain like. Yeah, a knife in your hand is uh, is sharp. pretty amazing. But guess what happens when the knife starts flailing? Yeah, and you're and then you start explaining cut. all the <laughs> what the knife can do. Then they go, "Oh, I probably shouldn't touch that knife because I don't want to get cut yeah. in the neck and be crying <laughs> or dying." Yeah. So back yeah. to the fun stuff. Um, Isn't that what parenting is? Keeping yeah, them alive, right? Keeping them alive and having bipolar uh, stuff like this, which I <laughs> was really upset for a second. Now we're going to go back and to giggling. It's... Yeah, oh. because oh. right. No, That's, if you want to be upset for a minute, I totally get it. Nah. That's really like a shocking... Uh, I have good kids. Yeah, they seem super cute. They'll yeah. be... Uh, She's like, they're great. Knives and bats. Sounds <laughs> awesome. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I saw that movie with the Warriors. And, <laughs> we, and we just got done joking uh, in the last episode about how every generation needs to have their... Um, you know, the phone call, he's in the house. You know, that, yeah. that scary, every kid needs that scary I, thing to scare. The, the, the everybody's always been scared in their house, scary. right? Yeah, the house. you don't want, because your house is supposed to be this place where you're protected and where it's your, However, your fort. everybody has something yeah. about their house that scared them when they were a kid. So it's just odd that all of a sudden, out of nowhere. We had a scary basement. Yeah, see? There's, everybody's got it. What was, what was scary at your house? Um, my Your dad brother? yelling oh. uh, was pretty scary. Um, <laughs> you know, you know the moment like when my dad they... never yelled at me. He's the nicest dad ever. I but he tell. yelled at the boys. Yeah, well, as we've now learned, there's reasons. There's for reasons that. to yell at boys. Yeah, there's <laughs> reasons. All right, so where where did we leave off? We were talking about oh the, the, the you audition at so you, you at made the video Studio Eight H. So there you yeah. are. So you you make it to so made this is cool, video. right? Had you been to they, New York before? Uh, I had been to New York once when I was like. 14 years old. Okay. And um and it was like a big scary city. I didn't really <clears throat> I didn't really get it like I was young and the people who we were staying with in the city were like this young couple and they wanted to go out to bars and clubs and my sister and I were there and we were these little kids. So it that trip it wasn't like, "Oh, I want to live in New York City." But when I got to New York City for the audition, then I was like, New York City. Yeah. <laughs> like it was gorgeous. We stayed at a hotel right off of Times Square and the Rockefeller Center was so beautiful and my gosh, it was just like magic. It was and, so and, fun. And I have to ask, because <clears throat> you are of legal drinking age, mm-hmm. did you go out and party at all or did you take this? You're like, I am here. Like, did you get wild by the city and go out and have like a grand old time, or did you like I am here to do something very specific and you kinda Stayed well, serious about it all. Um, I tried to be, you know, as good a worker as I could, but 
I did enjoy the city because <clears throat> I was there with my boyfriend and we lived together. This is I, Mike? Yeah. Okay. When Mike, when I got hired, Mike came to New York with me, which was so much fun. And we would go out to all the cool little pubs and different restaurants and places to visit. I mean, and the schedule at SNL is two weeks on, two weeks off. So you've got two weeks off in the city, you know, and a small TV paycheck. You've got to whoop it up. <laughs> yeah, which I think some people don't understand. <laughs> all is how the buses how and small all those, the gum. <laughs> yeah, how small everybody, those paychecks are. They're so small. Everybody, when I wasn't on the show anymore, they'd be like, um, you're still sewing? What happened to all your SNL money? And I'm like, it was spent the I week the check the came bus in. bus and bought some gum. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. So, when, when, oh, so uh, we'll go back to the audition. So, so you, you go in and do the audition. Again, so, I'm yeah. assuming you get nervous. You do the thing. Very nervous. Phil Hartman was assigned to play any other character we had oh, written okay. in our piece. You okay. auditioned with Phil Hartman? So I got to audition with him and Jesus. I asked Phil. Um, because all the women were in the hair and makeup, and he was there ch- chatting us up. He was such a wonderful person. And so then I thought, well, if anyone could give me advice, it's this guy, because he's very seasoned, he's cool and collected. And, and even at that point, so everyone said, knew who Phil Hartman was, and he was like yeah, the new... He was great. Yeah. So I said, Phil, if I'm really nervous, and if you have any advice for a person like me who doesn't have any TV experience... Um, and in a situation like this, where I have like a few minutes to impress these people, what is that advice? And he said, you, he goes, no matter how nervous you are, use your acting skills to act like you're the coolest cucumber in the room. And I used it. I was like, oh man, because you, you know, as, as a novice, you think, well, if they see that I'm nervous, they'll pity me and then I'll get the job. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no. no, that does not work. So then I really physically had to like throw back my shoulders, stick out my chin and hold my head up high and just like own it. You know, like I really had to make myself appear super confident. And it was the weirdest physical thing because I was like shaking. You were nervous as while hell. While I was yeah. forcing my body into all these confident you know, positions, um, I was like shaking in my boots, but it, it worked because they were laughing and the people in the audience were Lorne and his assistants and Chris Farley was there and David Spade and, um, a few other people who were, that was my, that was 92. Yeah. It was like 19, 91, summer of 91. And then you were on the following. And then I got hired uh, I didn't do the first two episodes of 91. I got hired in like late October of 91. And so I went part of 91 into 92, uh, most of that season. And that, that it chunk, like as much as I love the original cast and everything, with that chunk of time on SNL was the most memorable for me and the most enjoyable with the cast that, that you guys, that you worked with. Was. It was a fun cast. It was a huge cast. Did you know Chris Farley from Chicago at I all? I did, and I, I knew him from so many different nights out, right. <clears throat> like after shows. This is still in Chicago when you say yeah, you know? Yeah, before okay. all okay. the Miss Vagina, before I like, okay. I, he was on Second City's main stage and, I, you know, we were all at Annoyance, but a lot of the guys <clears throat> and girls friends. too were all just comedian friends all together and, you know, different theaters, but just all comics in the same town at the same time. 
So we would all be at similar parties. We'd go to each other's openings. Like Mick was directing at Second City and directing and running our theater. So there was a ton of crossover. And so I, I didn't know Chris well and Timmy Meadows. I didn't know them well in Chicago, but they were both on the cast when I got hired. And so that was really nice. Kind of a little bit like kind of some know familiarity. A few, and A couple of few people, yeah, yeah. That was great. And they both, I mean, I, I don't know where Tim Meadows is from originally, but Farley had that Midwestern sensibility in the sense that, like, it make people feel comfortable and, yeah. and make sure that everyone's, you know, there's there's no reason to make you an outcast or to kind of shun so you because you're new. It's he like, was so nice and sweet. I love that guy. And he probably still remembers just being fresh on the show, too, and he was probably scared shitless. He, he was always... I, I, I was really astounded by how many people who I thought were, like, you know, oh, they, they're jaded. They, they, showbiz doesn't frighten them. And they would get nervous. I mean, it was live TV going on Saturday night live. You're and you and like the saying, they do, you didn't go on at eleven thirty because you were ready. You went on because it was eleven thirty. <laughs> like exactly, you had no choice. You had to be ready. It was always like, okay, look at the clock, look at the clock, and um, all the scenes had to time out exactly how I, they should. I mean, I tried to time the... a three minute set for a like a, a stand up audition or something, and I it's terrifying to have to work in a time frame like that. One one time I got to do a scene with Chris and um, Tom Davis wrote it, rest in peace, and Chris Farley, rest in peace as well. And it was he, Chris and Steve Martin and I. And so while we were rehearsing and Steve Martin played a gran- our, his granny and I was his date and the granny had a million cats and the basic joke was that cat hair was every <laughs> single place and we were really dressed up for like a fancy dinner. But we came to visit her first and say hi to her. And you got cat hair so on. So we're rehearsing on Thursday afternoon, and Chris Farley's like, "Yeah, this is pretty cool. Can you believe it that we're like in a scene with Steve Martin? Steve <laughs> Martin." And then I'm looking at Chris like, "I can't believe I'm, I'm in a scene with you." I can't believe any of this. It's yeah. just weird. <laughs> I mean, that must have been surreal. Just it was the guy, totally surreal. Because you're also, at the time, you're doing sketch and you're, and you're working in, in Chicago. Your Saturday Night Live is something everyone talked about. You were always watching it. People yeah. were always talking about it. Always. It was like... So it then to all of a sudden you're like... Weird. Then I'm on it. And then you're like, oh my God, Chris Farley is the biggest thing to come out of the Midwest ever. And then you're like, oh, Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. hi. Like, yeah. It was crazy. It was it was fun. Steve Martin was really really nice. He was yeah. He's wonderful. he's a nice guy, huh? Yeah, he was so kind. And uh, Tom Davis was great. Like it, that was a Tom was Davis a good of one. Uh, Davis and Franken, Franklin. Franken and Davis. Franken, yeah. Franken, yeah, not Franklin. Al Franken's sorry. old writing partner. And the, they were there at Senator the very beginning. Franken. Yeah, and they were there at the very beginning. You know, yeah. they were yeah, there at seventy five. They were there so. way early. Yeah, awesome. Tell me if you can remember, tell us if you can remember when you knew that you got it. Like when they called and said, or did they, when, when do you find out and what was okay. that? I can't remember so, getting the show. I'm going to question your. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So no, I, do, I know. I know. What I you do mean. remember. So then the, um, so there were more hoops to jump through. So after that screen test, the buzz that people were buzzing in my ear was Lauren loves you. He loves you. He loves you. This is great. Keep doing what you're doing blah 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 and then I'm like okay which most of what I was doing was auditioning and then waiting to hear what they think <laughs> keep doing that okay got it on it sit by the phone so done then, so then I get like I had to wait 
what seemed like forever, like I think it was five or six days. I'm knitting. It's not <laughs> ringing. I'm knitting. It's still not ringing. Knit my, I, knitted my fingers to a nub. I don't know how to knit, but I was oh. sewing. Sewing, sewing, sewing. sewing. We don't know my, the difference. Yeah, we don't. So I was sewing. And meanwhile, keep in mind, like I was waiting to hear if my entire life was going to change. Right. Like mm-hmm. I'd be looking around my apartment like, I can't pack anything up because I'm going to jinx myself. Right. <laughs> But I'm going to have to pack pretty quickly if I have to go be on a TV show in New York. So they called and they were like, okay, great. They love you. Everything's looking great. They want you to come back to New York one more time and meet with the writers. I know. It's like a seven-step audition. (sighs) So you have to come and meet with the writers. And so I flew back to New York and it was just as much fun as the first time <laughs> but it was so much less pressure because it was just you already done the audition type process test. and so it was jim downey and robert smigel in, God me, in damn. an office and they were <laughs> chatting me up damn. saying how funny i was and how um they thought i did a great job and that they liked the tape i made and everything like they i was like you watched it? Like I couldn't. I was couldn't like, years you floor, watched that it. was part of I, the process. I was shocked that they watched. I don't know why it's their job to watch it. But right, like, but you just didn't feel. <laughs> I didn't think it was that good of a tape. I was like, <laughs> and then what? Of course you didn't because it was your tape. But what were the what were the characters that you did? Do you remember like for the tape? For the tape, did you do the same um, ones for the audition? For the audition, yeah, kind of similar characters. But I I like to do a lot of characters. So there was like. Um, there were some that were super vague, but just had a lot of character, like a kind of a Marilyn Monroe-esque type girl where I was like talking to a puppy going, hey, little puppy, oh, come and talk to me. I want, you know, like a Sweetie Pie character. And then like a crazy little kid who's got a lot of spunk and attitude. Um, Miss Southside of Chicago, I was which was say, a you... character I played in the Miss Vagina pageant. That was my ah, beauty okay. pageant person was this kind of tough broad from Southside Chicago, which I ended up playing in the Superfan sketches. Bill Swirsky Superfan. Yeah, and I got to play George Wentz's daughter who would come on With the and bring and the, brats. the uh, hey dad, I brought the seven layer salad from the family <laughs> party. We're all real proud of you back there. <laughs> Just like goofy, yeah. goofy stuff like that. Um, so I don't remember every single character I did in that audition. And I don't even remember really what I asked Phil to do, but he was in a couple of my little yeah. bits in that. Uh, God, wouldn't you love to have that tape? I'm sure it's floating around somewhere, it's right? It's in their catalog of. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, someday you'll see it. I know. Someday. Were you invited? Did you go to the 40th? I didn't go to the 40th um, because I just was confused about waiting for the invitation and I never got one, but I guess they sent out invitations to people's managers and agents and I don't have a manager or an agent. So, but then when I finally called, they were like, well, of course you're invited. You were on the show, but it's all filled up now. So they were basically kind of, I know that's a sad story, right? But I could I couldn't really afford a big trip to New York City that weekend anyway. Yeah, it was like. Oh, you still didn't have your SNL money? Yeah, I <laughs> I bought more gum. <laughs> took three more Paid bus rent. rides. Well, I can stay home and chew gum, you guys. I mean, but you know what? It was fine. I I kept seeing a lot of stuff on social media about how fabulous that party was, and I kept wishing that I'd been able to swing it. But you know, it was a Valentine weekend, and my husband and I were here in Los Angeles, and we had a great time. We it's called life. Yeah, we, right. 
And it's funny because, like, we were hanging out at this party that same night, and I was like, we were having so much fun that I was like, I really go. don't think I'd be having this much fun at the SNL party. The wow factor would have been there, you but you, exactly, you'd be sweating more and like not yeah. comfortable and kind of just rubbernecking. Oh, look who that is! Look who that the is! The good oh, news right. is fifty. You'll yeah. get to go to the I'll fifty to the one 50. now. You know because they know how to get a hold uh, of you. Yeah, I know. Right, that's, but I, that's the key. I didn't mean to jump ahead so far. So you, you got your first, uh, you got that season on. Okay, SNL. so we never heard the. Oh, actual. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so you go back, okay, you talk, you so talk it with was the guys. A fake out, the fake out. So I talked to the writers. So the actual oh. news, yeah, there was a sw- there was like a a bait and switch, kind of a fake out. So, um, the writers were great. Jim Downey, Robert Michael, they were like, "Okay, nice to meet you. We look forward to seeing you again soon." I was like, "This is great." Okay. So then go back to Chicago, back to my apartment, and like sitting, Uh. waiting, waiting, waiting for days. And then one day the phone rings, and it's Marcy Klein, who's one of the talent coordinators. And she's like, yeah, hi. Hi, Beth. And she kept doing this kind of pity you voice. And I was like, oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) And then she's like, but you got the job. And I was like. What? Fuck you for telling me this way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got to have fun somewhere, right? Is that their thing? She, yeah, I think she just wanted to like really give you. A... She knew you'd tell the story she, on this she... podcast. That's right. That's that's what it was. I mean, it was like you got to give those guys at Hollywood Anonymous something <laughs> foresight, foresight. So yeah, then I did scream and jump up and down. And that's awesome. Called what? everybody by yourself on the landline. Well, yeah. Were you were you by yourself? Were you by yourself? I. Think I was by myself. Cordless? Was it cordless? Could you could you run around a little bit, or did you wrap yourself up in the cord? You can only go so far. She's like right there. She tries to run away, falls down. Just rip the cord out of the thing. No, I'm doing. No, I'm doing bits right now. You gotta see me. And nobody was filming. Yeah, that was my greatest sketch. Never made air. That's amazing. So, so then, people must have just been ecstatic for you. And were there yeah, some? Were you crazy. okay? And obviously, you still have to tell the other people in your group, right? Were you a little bit concerned about that? Or at this point, everyone was then kind of like spread by wildfire. Okay, yeah. so you didn't have to worry about once, it. Once you told somebody, it was like, "Oh my god, yeah. okay, once once one person got a call, and then once another person got a call, that um, you could just let that grow. They weren't, you know, if like I know Susan got a huge letdown call, which totally sucked and broke her heart and that's awful and so but the news spread pretty quickly and then i think there was a show at the annoyance that night and so there was kind of a little celebration where people were congratulating me and melanie behind your back yeah is it it bittersweet to some extent because you had people that were in the running with you and as much as you want to be like yay you knew that somebody that you were close with is also simultaneously not going to get it. Not, not going. Yeah, like for however happy I am that she's equally and oppositely unhappy, and that does suck. Yeah. Were you so? Were you kind of aware of that? Like, are yeah, you? You seem I, to be that kind of person that's yeah. very hyper aware, and you don't want to rub anything in anybody's faces. I and didn't, and it was very. It's very hard. I mean, it's it's tricky. Yeah. You know, that's a fine show line between like show being businesses. As one of my friends who is successful in show business says. 
it's not friend business, <laughs> but it's, that's it's not hurt. show friends. Yeah, it's show business. But, that goes, but to me, I think that goes both ways, though. I think that the true show of a friend is also someone who goes, "I want to be honest with you. I'm really hurt that I didn't make it, but I'm not going to make you feel bad exactly. about getting it." And that's the difference. Nobody ever made me feel bad about getting it. Right? They're like super gracious. All my friends, I mean. Everybody across the board was always super gracious and congratulatory and super, super what kind of lovely. show was it like that night? Did you perform <laughs> that night? I don't think we performed that. I think there was <laughs> another thing that was, um, I think it was a Kate Flannery, Scott Robinson show called The Lampshades, which oh, they still, still do. Yeah. Yeah. They started that back then. And it was really, it was I think that's what show was up that night. I'm not positive. And how there was long, always there was a show every night at the Annoyance. And how few. long before you left town? So then I think I got like two weeks. Oh, that's it. Oh, so you were right. Well, you, you were going to have was, two weeks is longer than I've heard some people have. So that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I Did, think so. It's it was like a leisurely amount of time to. Figure out, pack, and get your everything. shit over there. And did yeah. you still perform during that time? And did you feel the need to perform because you wanted to keep your chops up, or did you just spend your time just getting out of Dodge and saying goodbye to everybody? Whatever shows I had, I we we did them. Okay, but I think we had a run of the Miss Vagina show was I definitely had I think like an eight week run, and so once that run was over, we didn't do a second run because people were leaving. But coincidentally, when. Uh, a couple of us went to New York to do SNL. They also, the Soloway sisters had an opportunity to bring the Brady Bunch to New York City. And so they played at the Village Gate Theater, I think it was called, in in the middle of Greenwich Village. And so a lot of our theater did go to New York City that's cool. at the same to time. do the Brady Bunch. It was wonderful. Oh, and so great. we a lot of us were there together. So there was this kind of really fun camaraderie of our theater and my husband mike he got to be part of the brady bunch oh, okay. doing different parts like because at at the annoyance like i wasn't one of the brady family members but we all got to play like any little incidental parts okay that would come up and so um yeah that was really nice because a lot of us went to new york together and yeah and you didn't feel so alone no it was cool it was like really we were all exploring new york city together hanging out and so to answer that question earlier were we like going to bars and you know or being good we were going to bars <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well I chicago you, kids going to new york yeah, i mean what are you gonna i do? don't know if you remember but i remember, back in the uh um early to mid 90s i worked in radio and i and i also remember i mean there was a lot of buzz about that brady bunch stuff as well i mean this i mean people may not know that now but i mean back then there yeah. was a lot of oh, yeah there was, was a huge. lot of buzz about there was a big deal that yeah. whole that whole thing going on and then that summer because that was over the winter of 91 92 then that summer of 92 they came out here and performed in westwood and and that was at a huge theater and they would fill that place up and then i think it was that same summer or the summer after we did a short run at a theater here of the miss vagina pageant and that was really fun too and we ended up winning a la theater award of some kind that's awesome yeah, we packed the house, and I forget the name of that theater. It was on, uh, it was near like Fairfax, and it was near the Barney's Beanery. What street is oh, it? Santa okay. Monica. Santa Monica, yeah. I forget John, the name. John, Barney's Beanery. John, you know Barney's Beanery. I do. It was right near there. 
So, all right, so you, you get your, your two weeks, you get out there. Um, you said you're not on the first two shows. Now, this is what a lot of... Just, the first two shows were like in September and early October. So, so I wasn't even you in even New there. York okay, for those. Right. So you, do you, do you hit the ground running or like, because there's a, there's a, you have to... It, no, how does it work? I did you pitch not I, get you, the ground running. So it you have to pitch hard. ideas. Easy, they pitch ideas. Like you all now, you have to learn the hard. real dynamic, right? First is like yes. that. Hey, how are you? You're really talented. Now, now you're punching the clock. And now you learn. Okay, we talked about the seven auditions to get on the show. Yeah. Every week that you work there, you're auditioning to get on the show. You're pre- you're writing your material. You're presenting it at the read through on. Um, Wednesday, and then Lauren decides what scenes are going to be in the show Wednesday night, and then on Thursday they start all the building of the sets, costumes, tech, everything. And so, literally, you never done auditioning for that show. So, but that's fine because you know that's how life is. Mm-hmm. You have to always present your work and always try and sell it. And so, you learn a lot that. You don't just get a job and it's just handed to you. But it is hard to be on a show and then have to fight to be on the show. But we've learned from your past like with, with, with Dell that yes. you're like, I'm going to make this yeah, happen. I'm going to. Yes, exactly. Like that. I didn't mean to point at you. No, I don't know no. why I'm pointing at you. Like, I am. Yeah. I was and, pretending to be you. So, but it and, was hard because I was like told to just hang back and learn. By Lauren himself said to me, you know, because Melanie and I were really pushing to get our stuff on all the time. And he's like, it's your first year. In your first year, you just learn the process of the show. <laughs> and so I'm like, cool. I can do that. I could totally learn. Yeah. The show. But then you start looking around you and you see. And everyone's on and I'm not. So it was like, you know, you got to really write your own ticket when you're at that show. You got to write, write, write. And so you get. You said you did end up on the the third the third episode so, yeah, that I season. Ended up the very first show. I wish I had a list in front of me. Oh, that's of okay. The season because uh, I think the first host I worked with was Linda Hamilton, the Terminator Ooh, lady. Wow, yeah. And I got to be kind of tough in a bar that Christine Zander wrote that scene. I think, and maybe Bonnie and Terry Turner. I'm not positive, um, but we got to kind of. We were like dressed up housewives standing up to tough Lyndall Hamilton in a bar and kind of, you know, calling her out and saying how we could kick her ass. And so that was fun. I got to be tough to Linda Hamilton. Nice. And then we got to do our... uh, Melanie had a character that was um, a sorority girl who was her Miss Vagina character, which was Miss Tennessee, I think. Or Anyway, she was a real sorority-type character. And so... Siobhan Fallon, who also got hired when I got hired, and Melanie and I did it together as three sorority sisters. So that was fun because we were the Delta, Delta, Delta girls. Yeah. And so we got to do that. And then we did end up doing a Brady Bunch thing on the request of some of the people at the show saying, yeah, Melanie, you're really great as Jan. You got to write a Brady Bunch thing. Oh, yeah. So then I got to play Marsha on SNL, which was fun. And I was basically just copying the way Becky Thayer did it at the annoyance. <laughs> I have your thing. I fair, fair enough, though. Here's a couple and of your things. So 
Um, it actually has all your episodes uh, okay. on there. But, 91, 92. Uh, 91, 92. And you are listed in there. And you are right. There's the Linda. It was, Mariah Carey was the art. It was the, was the singer that That night. was always the most fun for me. The musical guest? The musical. Because they were right there. Like, literally. And if you, you like, if you like music, I mean, if you're a was, fan. Oh, my God. I got to meet Nirvana. Pearl Jam, I James mean, Taylor. That's cra- it's crazy. And just so we're clear, this is not was, a massive theater and staging no, area, right? No. This is very Studio intimate. Studio 8H is very small. I think it at the most seats 250 or maybe So it was like the size of the Hollywood Improv. Yeah, like a smallish. Yeah. Yeah. How many TV floors studio. does SNL take up? So there's the stage floor and then there's multiple floors for, for different um, um, people? Pretty sure it's just uh, 8H... And that whole kind of wing mm-hmm. of where that studio is with tons of dressing rooms all the way around it. Okay. Because um, there are so many cast members and offices, too. And then kind of above 8H is Lauren's office where you okay. go to find out if your scene's going to be cut right before air. <laughs> oh, and gosh. so that was... Well, it's good to know that's how it's known. ...kind of guillotine room okay. where your scene got to go to dress rehearsal, which is a Friday early 8 o'clock show. And then he would kind of take uh, the temperature of watching it and figure out what got better laughs and what didn't and always cut one or two things completely out. But he always stacked the deck a little bit extra just so he could make sure he had enough sure. you know, laughs for his show, which is smart. And um, But if you were looking forward, you know, if you're excited on Wednesday night, your scene's going to get produced and you're like, yay, this is amazing. And then you go through all the tech and everything and fit the costumes on Thursday and run through it and then get even a couple laughs on Friday at dress rehearsal because dress rehearsal is a full audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that audience leaves and then another full audience comes in for the live. So dress rehearsal is Saturday. Yes. Saturday night. Yeah. Sorry, I said Friday. No, that's fine. I'm She's like, I was on Friday Night Live, guys. It was a different show. <laughs> it turns out, in the end, <laughs> Thursday and Friday were both tech dress rehearsals. Yeah, sure. So they would like timing, props, take all that stuff, just in case they needed anything. You know. Can I go through just some of the? This is so 1990s, by the way. Like the 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 list of guests, and uh, I'm sure some of these are, it's going to come flashing back to so you. So much fun. But this is the list of guests during that season: Macaulay Culkin, mm-hmm. MC Hammer, mm-hmm. who was also the musical guest, so he doubled down. He was also yeah. terrible as an actor <laughs> on the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steve Martin, obviously. Genius. Rob Morrow. Yeah. If, uh, which I what was it, was it Ed. No, what was he? Oh, Rob no, Northern Morrow Exposure. Was in, yeah, Northern Exposure oh, okay. star. Chevy Chase. Yeah. Uh, Susan Day. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Jason Priestley. Yes. Yeah. Roseanne and Tom Arnold. Roseanne yes. was so nice to me. She oh, was that's awesome. That's cool. John Goodman. Yeah, John Goodman. This is a 1990. This Jerry. is definitely. Seinfeld was yes. This is definitely a 1990s actress because you don't hear much about her anymore is Mary Stuart Masterson. Yep. She's very popular back then. She's still. Um, yeah, I know what you're saying. Tom Hanks, Woody Harrelson. Yeah, awesome. Like a lot of 90s stars. But yep. at the same CNC time. CNC Music Factory. Yeah, <laughs> CNC Music Factory. They totally uh, 
Did they rock it out? They rocked it out. <laughs> I'm sure. You know what the thing is, right? You're probably taking it. sounds like me. You, t- you took the attitude the whole time of like, this is all great. Yeah, like this is it was great. I mean, you worked and you took it seriously. Don't get me wrong; I can, I can tell. But I think that you were—you never. It doesn't seem like you lost the fascination of exactly what it was that you were allowed to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, it was like mind blowing. Like you're—it's like a whirlwind. Like even on a night when Tom Hanks is the host, then in the backstage area, there's David Bowie and Iman like hanging, hanging out. out. Well, yeah. I think. David Bowie and Time Machine were musical guys. Yeah, Tin Machine. Tin Machine was on there. James and Taylor. So that was um that was amazing. Bruce Springsteen. Springsteen played. Um, Color me bad, but, but that was even before on you. nights when, like, if Dave, I know there were people like David Bowie who would come and be hanging around at the show, and they weren't in the show, and they weren't like That's you know crazy, yeah the musical guest, and because it was just like. If a celebrity's in New York on a Saturday night and they're Why not go where with, everybody is hanging exact, out? That's yep. where all the, uh, you know, that's where the big party is or whatever. It's two, really fun and yeah, why not go there? Two questions. Uh, what was the best after party you went to? <laughs> and how was Chevy Chase? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's a loaded question because I know he's a douchebag and we've talked to other people who have written for him and worked he's, with him and had to read lines with him on Community and, and he's, he's just... A, not he's a what? nice man. He's not nice. At what, all. what do you I think it? You may not even know, but why? Like again, going back to what you're saying about just know, being excited that about was what? My biggest disappointment. I got oh, to yeah. meet so many wonderful, fun people who I idolized, and I idolized him until I met him. Yeah, that dude and he was like such us, a dude. sexist, awful oh. person. Who yeah. he was so crass, and he was trying to get laughs from me, saying awful things about little kids and like his own child and talking about how his kid, his little girl couldn't stop masturbating. And I'm like, I'm not going to laugh at this. It's you're it's weird. Yeah. You're an icky person. Go away. So that that's was, too bad. That's gotta be a big disappointment. That's well, why I think that's disappointing. That's disappointing to everybody in comedy because when you look at what he did, like he was so funny on SNL and the movies yeah, he has been in. He was so funny. I'm telling you, spies like us, Fletch, just those two movies Caddyshack. alone. Caddyshack. I mean, Fucking A, Caddyshack is one of the funniest movies I know. of all time. And the weird thing is, like, when you're a cast member, on, you get to go out to dinner with the host, like, once. And so the night I got to go to the fancy dinner with oh. the host, which is Monday, the night that you meet the host, and everyone meets in the afternoon in Lorne Michaels' office. It's a meet and greet with the host, and you kind of soft pitch any idea you yeah. might have. We're thinking about doing this. We're thinking about you playing a woman. So and they can the get their head around it and whatever. And then they were like, well, Lauren wants you to go to the dinner with Chevy Chase. Just you and him, not everybody. No, a bunch of different people. Oh, oh okay. But not okay. everybody. Right, okay. So the it. whole cast doesn't get to go. Got and it. especially since our cast was like a million people in our right. cast <laughs> that year. And that was another reason I got fired because Lauren was embarrassed by the cast of like almost 20 people and he <laughs> wanted to pare it down to a tight eight or nine that was to say if you look at this players. cast if i may just real yeah, quick count them i'm sure there's at least 17 well you've got here john you count i will just say who it is you have dana carvey chris farley God phil damn. hartman victoria jackson mike myers kevin nealon chris rock julia sweeney ellen cleghorn oh i don't know how to say this siobhan S- fallon thank you uh you knew right away didn't you tim meadows adam sandler rob schneider david spade 
Obviously, you, Al Franken was in there, Melanie's in there, and Robert Schmeigel. Obviously, the two of those guys were writers, right? Mm-hmm. Primarily, but they Primarily, but cast- they, played, they, they played in a lot of as, scenes. To say they're considered here on the cast members. So that's, that's every 18. single name. That's 18. That's yeah, 18 that's cast lot. members, yeah. And, and, and the amount of talent in there is fucking crazy. It's like a lot Dana of funny Carvey people. and Chris Farley and f- all on the same. Yeah. What the? How do you even? How does that stage not explode? I know. And Mike Myers was I, doing Wayne's World, and uh, I mean Wayne's World. Out of Chris Aurora, Rock? Are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> he was doing Nat. Nat X. X yeah. Why was, a fifteen minute? Why a ten minute show? Because the man won't give me fifteen minutes. It, he always made me laugh so hard, and he is the nicest guy. I Chris love, Rock. Yeah. Oh, that's nice to hear. So kind. He's super funny. Lovely. I mean, he's one of the obviously one of the key stand-ups working love. today. He, yeah, I'm looking through this. He was underused as fuck on that show, though. Well, on SNL. See, here's, I think so too. I also think that Chris Rock's true strength is in is in public performance and speaking. He's always struggled a little bit when it came to like straight up acting stuff. He's had some moments, but. It, you, he is undeniably one of the greatest stand-up comics of all, of all time, time and stand-up comic voices yeah. of all time. So yeah, he, he may never he have been... If he only recorded that first special, he'd still be considered yeah, one of always. them. always. Yeah. And again, Brilliant. anybody that I've ever... I've come across him a couple of times, as have other people. No one's ever said a bad word about that guy, by the way. He's no. such a sweetheart. But I, I, will, I will... There's a couple people in here that... Um, uh, that I have been told over the years that have been a little bit difficult, and is which is Victoria Jackson, and um, well, she went crazy, man. Well, I don't know anything about her. I'm just saying, a right wing lunatic, and I've heard she that Rob did. Schneider can be difficult. Yeah, Rob I, Schneider, I've heard. Of, yeah, yeah, he's, he's a little, little bit cocky, he, um, which is hilarious. But again, you're never. That's the other thing about you. Understand, this is a job like any other job, and no one gets along with every no, person at, the at their job, and that's. That you are never prepared for, kids. If you're going to go work on Saturday Night Live on the <laughs> television show, <laughs> there are office politics involved. There, yeah. it's office politics because it's in an office building in New York City. Yeah, and, and you guys share show, rooms and they which is offices. A product. And, yeah, and there is competition. There is pitching competitions as well. Correct, totally. like a lot of pitch. I heard Chris Kattan was on uh, Stern, people, I think, once talking about getting are, picked on by. There's grinders. There's people, okay, you pitch your idea, and it's funny, and you write it out, and you get laughs in the read-through, but then there's somebody who has always been in Lauren's ear, and is like, come on, Lauren, let me just try it. You won't be disappointed, or whatever. Like, he had grinders in his ear. Yeah. And and the squeaky wheel in the office will get the grease, and I'm not a grinder. When Lauren told me just... Hang back and learn. You tried to hang back and learn. How dare you take him literally? I know. (laughs) And I'm not like, you know, I'm glad I got to experience that. But then after that, because that was so crazy. It was insane. But it was fun. It was fun crazy. And it was a whirlwind. But after that, I was like, that's not a normal life. I got to live a normal <laughs> life. I can't. You knew I you can't. knew that that when did you realize within the season you were like boo. There was yeah, within the season I realized it and all the auditions I was being sent on by all these different uh people who were trying to get me to have a bigger career were just stupid crap ass, you know, the pretty girl part, you know, which yeah. um I already said that's not my jam. And so <laughs> There was one time, I think, when I was like, had to be busy doing something and everybody was making a barbecue. And I was like, oh man, I make such good ribs. Okay, I wish I could just go 
to this barbecue and not worry about all this other stuff. You know, <laughs> I just want to live a normal life and yeah. go to a barbecue and work in a garden. Yeah. And now that's what I do, except it's too hot to make a barbecue. <laughs> well, right now, right now. But I mean, not right this minute. <laughs> so you you did you did the season and you you, you finished the season. Did you, you did, did you have inklings you, or no? When I finished the season, um, at the final party, which was probably you were asking earlier, what was the best party? The after party, <clears throat> yeah. The after party that night was on the actual Thirty Rock with the beautiful golden statue. It was this huge, massive, like really like extravagant, wonderful party, and uh, so that was super, super fun. And most of the stars came who had performed on that season, and. Um, what was I going to say? The uh, sorry. Oh, but it, that, that was that was the end of the season. So we're. Oh yeah. So then, at the end of the season, at that party, they were all like, "Okay, see you in September." Everybody was super positive. Like, we okay. will see you when we started up again in the fall. And I was like, "This is great." You to you know. Because even though it was like I wanted to have a normal life, it was still a fun job. And you're and still t- you're still not even yeah, thirty yet. It, no, yeah. I was 26 years old. So, right. And Sharon Stone, Sharon Stone told me I looked good for my age. <laughs> okay. What is that? What? I don't know. That's a weird thing to say to a 26-year-old. But right? She was, what, 40 at the time? I don't know. But when she said it, I was like... <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. And so. you for yours, ma'am. <laughs> it was she, really... But do you think that... Do you think in hindsight, was it a setup for you to say how amazing she was? I think she definitely was always worried about how she looked. And so she was like kind yeah. of fishing around for a compliment. Oh, goodness or gracious. Or I didn't want to ask her how old she was. And she wasn't old and ugly. No. She was... But I was only 26. But I think she was trying to say that she thought I was 21 or something. Like, I don't know. It was a weird compliment. But anyway, that, there were things like that that happened where I was like, fuck this. Who is the most fun person to talk to that, that strolled into that place? Like, star Eddie or Vedder. Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder. I got to talk to Eddie Vedder the night that Pearl Jam played. And I was so amazed by how just normal. Like, he's a huge rock star at the time. He's still a huge rock and star. And he still is. A Cubs fan. Love him. But, like, he was... You know, I was just, we were just talking at the after party and I was trying to ask him about like, what his life is like? What does he like to do? Where does he go? Because I'm thinking he's going to tell me like he's in Europe. Extravagant places and and all this. And he's like, you know, I'm kind of a mad scientist. I really like to hang out in my garage and invent stuff. And I was like, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. (laughs) I love you even more now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Knowing now that you're not some rock star douchebag. Telling me all your rock star stories. Yes, he was just just being like super regular and super kind and lovely. And uh, and same thing with Grohl. Like we got to meet Dave Grohl. Oh God, he just seems like the coolest fucking dude. I was amazed by them. Like I was amazed by Nirvana. And and when we went to the party that night, my husband was there. And Dave Grohl's mom was there, and my husband was like, "You're Nir Mama, Nir Mama." That's awesome. And she was like, 
Oh, I was so excited. That's hilarious. Yeah, Dave Grohl's a pretty cool dude. Oh my god! Did could you tell? Was was um uh Kurt Cobain a, a hand? Was it was he out there? He I mean, barely you, said anything to anyone. He was polite super or just, just shy. I think shy, uncomfortable like, around super people. Introverted. Super... Did it make other people around him uncomfortable because he was so uncomfortable? I'm just curious of what type of person he was in, around people that were actually physically around him. Or, or you just happened to, or was it was more like, I was just eh. kind of worshiping from afar because okay. we had just gotten the Nevermind CD and mm-hmm. we were playing it oh over and over on a CDs loop. are compact discs, kids. So yeah. Cool to see Nirvana play live on that stage. And oh then, my God. And it then, was cool to watch on TV. I was like, my God, Nirvana's going to be on SNL. Like, Courtney Love kind of glaring at me <laughs> at one point. Don't touch my man. But I didn't want to go, I didn't want to bother him and I didn't want to bother her. I just was like, oh wow, rock stars. But Grohl was really, you could talk to him. He was really nice. That's from what I understand, you still uh, can. And he he, is just a super down to earth dude. Yeah, and that was nice. So I was like, you know, I don't care if Kurt Cobain wants to talk to me or not. He's, you know, he's got a lot to deal with. Like, you could tell he's like this super grungy rock and roll kid from a small town. All of a sudden, he's experiencing something way crazier than what I was experiencing, and, and what he could have so possibly fathomed—anything totally fathom. he his... could have possibly fathomed. There's no way Kurt Cobain could grow up and go, "I'm going to be never. The, I'm going to start a music scene." Exactly. No, and it's so—that's so. the hard part for somebody like that too that they don't really touch on—is that you know people made him kind of their music Jesus, and that's a little bit weird to have to carry that burden of like people going, no, man, you're changing the world, man. It's like, that I'm may never have been their intent. just music that I enjoy. That's being held to quite a high pedestal. I know, I know. Or whatever and, I just said. And just that whole <laughs> whirlwind that he must have gone through, I don't know if it would be considered like emotional whiplash or some kind of PTSD or something. Yeah, but, but from going to having Bleach gonna, out to then having Nevermind come out and be like, oh, 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 oh yeah, we're huge. You're going to have, and then, and along with that, all the glommers of people who want to pull money yeah. out of you. Yeah. Like just. That's got to be the most annoying thing about it. Fuckers. Yeah. Just to see. Just swear on not at all. Especially when you're talking about people like that because they are greedy fuckers. And to, to come up and. and like Kurt Cobain's idea was never to be rich; it was to make music, cool music. that he liked. Yeah. And when he did that, right? and people were like, "Oh, then the shit bags that come out of the woodwork." Yeah. That's got to be a real interesting, weird experience to be I like. Think so. I never liked you. I wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire. And now here you are asking me for money. Yeah. Because and not only asking you for money, asking you to do stuff to yeah. make them money. Yeah. yeah. And it's like I don't, you know. No. Yeah. Don't owe no. you any favors? No. no. Why? Yeah. Well, the the normal person would would get that, and obviously, you know, you you picked up on that, which is, I mean, you know, and there is something to be said about occasionally, it's okay to admire somebody from a distance. You're still in the same room together. Yeah. You guys still have all the same access. Was, you don't always right. need to hug and handshake and take a picture with everybody no. that you meet. It's no and. He's about to smash a guitar, yeah. you know, on yeah. the stage. <laughs> yeah. And so... They did. They destroyed their instruments on that show. He needed to get into ah. character for that and be like... That's an know. iconic performance. Nirvana on SNL is like... Yeah. like They do show that One on of the main yeah. musical... It's like the top, one of the top 10 to 15... And I got to stand right there. Like, they were there. And I was... We were... Mike, my husband, got to stand next to me. He must have loved so every minute of that. He's a musician, so... He, my yeah. husband's a great improviser, but he also loves playing bass guitar. And so he got to move to New York. 
stay doing, stay acting. And meet all these cool musicians. So they were oh. cool about having boyfriends or some family or uh, not, around the set? Uh, not a ton. You had to kind of keep every, you know, if people came to see you backstage, it had to be totally under wraps and like oh, not, okay. you can't just be bringing everybody. It wasn't a free in, for all. No, yeah. but he was, you know, he, he was my partner. We we're living together. We're boyfriend and girlfriend. They, they had to let him in. Yeah. Okay. So, but like so that spouse, kind of stuff, though, spouses were, and family were always, always included. welcome. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah that's what I'm talking about. Not, yeah, not like buddies and friends the, and all that kind of stuff, but at the dinner that there's always a kind of a catered, um, just basic like showbiz catering dinner, um, between dress rehearsal and air on Saturdays. And Phil Hartman always had his wife and kids, you know, at that dinner. Like they always came for the whole experience, and that that was nice because that's like well, it's nice until we know what we know. Well, yeah, right. yeah. That's well, that's a sad, yeah, awful story. Yes, but no. So, so you um, uh, d- to change gears away from that, realizing this I know, stuff. Like but how much tragedy it came with with this cast and this show. I yeah, mean, come on. <laughs> I was, it's com- and you couldn't peg, you couldn't peg any of those people that that was something. You know, sometimes in hindsight they're like, "Oh, the writing was on the wall," but like, no. definitely with Phil Hartman, absolutely no. not. That I was that came as a shocker to I everybody. Never, I didn't think anything. Like I just, even Chris, but was he always on the? Was he pretty intense as far as like, if I'm, we're gonna party, we're gonna party? Yeah. So there he, was that, and he was talk about like. A shy, nervous person, even though he's an awesome performer and very boisterous and outgoing, just his personal, um, you know, his, who he is, he was quiet and shy and very humble and sweet. And so I think he got nervous all the time. Okay. And use, and to combat nervousness, use drugs to You can drink and you can do drugs and then you're just a talkative guy with no inhibitions and then, hey, everyone loves you. Exactly. And they were. And then when you, you don't, and then when you aren't like that, and when you're just being quiet and reserved, people are like, dude, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You don't want to be. What's wrong with you? 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 Talk about for him, it was always dance, monkey, dance. Like, yeah. If he wasn't being outrageous and making people laugh at every single minute, I think that his people would be talking to him like, Chris, come on, yeah. You gotta, you know. Yeah, and I mean like, that's was fatty. He used to say that people laugh when fatty falls down. Exactly, and and so and you want to keep them laughing, or they so forget who you are. Dance monkey dance, and so I was glad that I wasn't like a dance monkey dance person. Yeah. I was like, you know, an actor, and you know. So when they didn't, when when sep- then they tell you in yeah, September yeah, you you're, you're, you're coming you're back, you're, you're coming home. back. We'll see you. But we'll then see you. by July, I think it was or early August, there I got a phone call in Chicago. That was the equal and opposite of phone the f- call of the jump up and down one. Yeah. They, it was, and they didn't even call me from SNL. It was Mark Gervitz from Brillstein Gray, who was See, my manager. This is the problem. I, I, this is what I've heard on he multiple me firings and off the show. He told me that I was let go from the show. And, they're, they're not hiring you back. And I was like, very sad, very disappointed, crying. Uh, but. You know, what do you do? Well, let me ask you, you this, just, though. When you look well, back on it now, do? do you at least feel like the time that you put in, you busted your ass, you tried your hardest, you had, the no, mo- you had a great experience? No, I feel like I should Michaels fucked okay. you by harder. telling you to sit okay. back and watch. I really do, because I could have done more of the characters that they liked. And, pitched more. And, and pitched more and written more. Okay. And, uh, you know, like <clears throat> when I said Roseanne was nice to me, I'd written a Barbie sketch with Christine Zander and 
it was um, Roseanne playing Barbies, but in the real way that girls really play Barbies, where you take off all their clothes and draw nipples on them, right, yeah. pubic hair. Yeah. I know that. I know that. And now. cut all their hair off, and because you want to do their hair, and then you realize your doll is wrecked. <laughs> So it was that was the joke, like how kids really play Barbies. And so we were going to, me and a, I think Siobhan and another woman on the show, we're going to play the actual dolls and have, the way I wrote it was very expensive. <laughs> and have As we learn about writing. Giant hands that held us and bopped us around. Ah. Which, is, that's like my crazy vision of how I think about filmmaking and how right. things should look. Right, It's always right. like a cartoon. <laughs> but... Um, they loved it and Roseanne fought for it, but they didn't produce it because it was too expensive and I was too new to spend that much money, money on right. somebody the who... things you learn. And so I know, because I could have written it in a different way without all that those visual effects, but you do learn. And so I did write stuff. It just didn't get on the show. And also I think, I think if, if the guy who hired you, who is your boss, is telling you, Take it chill, easy. this is your first year, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to be here for more years. And I do what he told me to do exactly because right. so that I cannot if I push too many buttons then maybe I'll get fired. Yeah, he'll that. be like where your Midwestern roots wrecked everything for I, you. I, I being too but I mean, nice and did, kind and respectful. Nice. But he did the same. He walked by Brooks Whelan and was like, "I want to be in the Brooks Whelan business." Like you know, he was like he was ready to like yes. And then two weeks later, Brooks gets a phone call from some uh, somebody else, not even from SNL, firing him. It's like yeah. Then why would you say that? Why did you tell me to sit back and if so I so he told Brooks the same thing? Take it easy. No, no, I don't know oh, about that. I don't okay. know. I'm just saying, what, like, like after the first season, like, we like you. We want to be in the Brooks Whelan business. You know what I mean? And then it was like, then yeah. why? Did, why am I being fired? But did you? How long did you carry that that question mark of like, if I had just done this, is it? Did you carry that badge for a while, or were you pretty good about like, well, it, it is what it is. I'm going to try other things. Well, yeah. There's whenever you have disappointment in your life, you're always like, damn, if I could only go back in time and do this, this, and this instead of that, that, and that. But I don't know. I had to just get over it and right. do you know do whatever. What did you do? On. Yeah. Did you, did you keep doing um, improv and yeah. Kept doing shows at the Annoyance, and I wrote and directed a couple of shows. And in fact, one that I made was um, a show called Lettuce Girl, which goes so well with my gardening job now. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? My, Somebody my, did. <laughs> yeah, some portion my of her brain. And Rebecca played the lettuce girl who comes up out of the garden patch. Rebecca uh, Sohn, Rebecca okay. Weinberg, and um, so yeah, just like really working with like playing around with stuff and you know trying to write more and trying to be creative and just stay creative and not you know not feel sorry for myself i was gonna say because that could go you you've got two you've really got two choices at that point it's like you can sit around and go man if i would have just and and in, in hindsight and blah, 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 or you can be like well this is where i am now and i want to keep being funny i want to keep entertaining people i want to keep being creative I got to move forward. Well, the thing that was said to me by the manager guy who called me to fire me was, um, okay, so now lick your wounds, cry and dry your tears and get the, get the fuck out here to Hollywood because you're not getting any younger. And I was like, mm, number one, you're an asshole. Yeah, you're a jerk off. <laughs> number two, the way that I got this success was by doing my own thing and having fun. Yeah. So I think the wisest choice for me is go back to A. Right. Like do, go back to what I was doing. What did you love about it before? When I accomplished this thing that 
everyone, you know, it, that's a pinnacle. Yeah. So, um, yeah, why not? And I'll tell you, it was fun to go back to a normal life. Like, Chicago's great. Yeah, and your friends were there. And, my and friends you were, were there, like... and the Annoyance moved across from the Ginger Man on Clark at that time. Mick Napier made a movie, and I got to be in that that was called Fatty Drives the Boss, and that was really fun. And um, so, I mean, there was all sorts of yeah. fun stuff happening and shows and, um, you know... The world doesn't just stop just because I no, lost it doesn't. A job it feels that way, right? But so, but you also said that your boyfriend, eventually husband, also found a career for himself, and and and, and you know, so there was other things going. I mean, you had other well, things going on within thing. your like, world we and surrounding moved your to New York together, and then back to Chicago together. We're both from Chicago, but yeah, he wanted to work on his career too, and so we had to work together with whatever we were doing, and it wasn't just we couldn't just stay in New York with no job and. All of our friends, by back. that point, were back in Hollywood doing Brady Bunch and Westwood. So we really just kind of, you know, lived back home, back in Chicago for a while. And then after about, I think, four years of living there, um, people started talking about, yeah, we're going to go to Hollywood. And then another friend would say, we're going to Hollywood. And so there was this kind of, at first, really slow exodus of Chicago people to Hollywood and then um, I think 1998 is when we finally moved out here and drove a rental truck across the country and moved all our stuff out here and, and our parakeet, Mr. Pretty. <laughs> oh, Mr. Pretty. We, we smuggled Mr. Pretty in California. <laughs> if you're a law enforcement officer, turn away, turn off the speakers. <laughs> Mr. Pretty is a hand puppet. Mr. Right. Pretty was our real. pretend parakeet. <laughs> yeah. We gave him he dialogue. He was our imaginary parakeet. I saw, by the way, my wife and I yesterday saw a woman walking her parakeet in a cage, <sighs> and really? I turned her and I go, that's uh, torture, just so that uh, woman knows. Yeah. In, in that bird's mind, it's, it's like, here, I'll take you out in the cage and let I'm you almost... Walk a fish in a fishbowl. <laughs> yeah, you can't fly, though, but... <laughs> like... I didn't... I can't. don't get that. I get them... I understand... If it was a dog or a cat, like they're thinking, not even a cat, I don't understand me walking the cats, but the, the I understand the concept of like, I want to be with you everywhere, Mr. Whatever, Bird Pants or whatever the right. girl's name is, but I, I don't think she understood the torture that she was putting that animal, it's an animal it's and mean. it only knows one thing, it's which is so like, outside. open it, <laughs> open, open this up, open it well, now, open it now, yeah. how about now? That was how Mr. Pretty ended up meeting her demise. Because we found out Mr. Pretty was actually a girl after she laid an egg. Oh. So we would always open her birdcage when we were at home so she could fly around the Is room. Is that how Mr. Pretty got and pregnant? And when she... No, they don't get pregnant. They lay an egg first, and then I guess it gets fertilized. So there was no Mr. Pretty. We can actually chalk this up as a learning session on yeah, this show, right? just so you know. A little bird learning. Science, yeah, everybody. a little bird learning. So she flew around the room one time, and then when she landed, she broke her leg, <gasps> and it ended up killing her poor little birdie. Oh, no. I know. Oh. Poor bird. But that's anyway. That's a super fun story. <laughs> Sorry. So but fired I mean, from that's SNL, why your bird people dies. keep them in the cage. They yeah, because they're not bright birds. Hurt flying around a house that's a room that doesn't have branches. People are doing those birds a favor by imprisoning them. No, they're not. <laughs> so, all right. So back to the fun stuff. Sorry. Wait, it, once we started talking about Mr. Butters or what was the Mr. Pretty, the Mr. Pretty, Mr. Butters. <laughs> <laughs> Get it right, dude. 
Sorry. Jesus. That was close. Mr. Pretty. <laughs> Mr. Pretty's leg. Mr. Mr. Pretty and his, his egg land. Mr. Butters was Mr. Pretty's chef. <laughs> Mr. Butters, and he only cooked with margarine. So you... um all wrong. You So you, so you come out here and, and you guys... After everything that you had gone through and had done, how does that how does that change your approach to being out in Los Angeles? And how does one eventually you had talked about that you were making clothing and stuff like that and doing all that stuff? It sounds like you were always doing that. Uh-huh. That was that never went away. That sounds like something yeah. that was always kind of your thing. Mm-hmm. But then how do so you get out here and you're talking about landscaping and doing all the other stuff and you and you were uh, your desire was to also be a filmmaker. So where does all this come into play once we get to Los Angeles? Well. Good question. (laughs) Thank you. John never says I (laughs) ask good questions. So when we got here, we started doing a show called, uh, well, it was a Monday show, and Pete Gardner directed it, and it was a big group of us improvisers from Chicago, and it was just a basic, um, like, Armando-type improv show where you, we didn't start with an Armando. Armando show is when you have a host, and that person is the Armando character. But it just started as like a freeform, giant group improv show, and then it turned into an Armando show. And so we were, my husband and I were both happy because we had a theater then. We, we got invited to do this show, and then we were part of the I.O. West, which we were part, I was part of I.O. in Chicago a little bit. More, we were more annoyance people, though, in Chicago. And so... Then he started doing Bear Shark Mice, and then I ran the Armando show for a long time, for I think six years. Or, wow. And that was fun. I have all the little... I used to get the guest check from John Crowley, the bartender. Yeah, I love John. I love him. He's yeah. one of my besties. Hi, John. And, <laughs> I'm sure um, he doesn't listen. <laughs> Let her believe what so, she needs yeah. to believe. Okay. So, so I have a stack of guest checks because I would write, because we split the Armando cast in two. So you'd write at the top of the guest check, I'd write who the host was, split up the two teams, because you would try and kind of even up the team. That was my job, to try and cast it so that you had equally strong players on both teams who played in complementary ways to each other. And so so we were busy doing, you know, being creative and doing more, you know, fun. And having fun. Theater stuff and having fun. And my husband got, like, uh, we both got a commercial agent, and he made some TV commercials. He yeah. made a, a bunch of TV commercials. He played Crash Bandicoot, and so he was doing pretty great with commercials. And that was before the strike. Yeah. So you could actually make money, good money <laughs> yes. from TV commercials back yeah, then. Yeah, right. And so then we were able to buy a house, which is amazing. We still have our lovely house, and we love it. Nice. And um, he got to do a bunch of fun like TV shows and stuff. He got to be on, he was on uh, Larry David's show and he got to play Krupke. Did you guys ever see that episode? Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think Curb. what Krupke was. Krup- and Officer Krupke. Oh, yes. No, no, no. I remember seeing him on there going, I know that motherfucker. And there, and so he's Krupke. And so, like, he's had a lot of fun out here in show business. Yeah. And I, I see him I, at commercial auditions. He's uh, redder-haired, uh, less of a beard, uh, better body. <laughs> but, like, we still go out for a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, because you guys are big red-headed guys. Yeah. But, like I said, he's more like 
if I was going to hire a street tough, he looks he looks more like he's in shape yeah, he's, than I. He I was I'm a more like player. I'm more like. Blah, 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 blah. That's my body. Blah, 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 blah. You're like, okay. That's my body with no shirt Ian, on. This is like an Ian Bag uh, <laughs> bit there. <laughs> Not a bit, but an impression. So then, my husband and I like to make movies together. So we um, made a movie with John Crowley and Mike Bunin. Nice. I love Mike. Yeah. And it's called Number Eleven, and I need to put it up on like Vimeo or make a YouTube page and. And stuff then like watch that. Stranger Things. Yeah, I gotta watch Stranger Things. I've heard it's the greatest thing. Number Eleven will come in. You'll hear it. Amazing. <laughs> Is that how that show works? No. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on right now, but it sounds Isn't amazing. That a Stranger new Things. If you, if you, that if, everyone's going if you like for. Goonies, if you like the I've 80s. never seen Goonies. Okay, you can get the fuck we've out. Had, we've had this conversation over and over again. I, I know. Well, I'm going to continue to black it out. It's like I've also <laughs> peed my pants in front of people, but I pretend it never happened. I did find the DVD. I will watch it. How do you, you have the DVD and you haven't seen it? Yeah, you got to watch Oh, the my goodness. goodness. Anyway, it's like watch. Goonies uh, meets... Um, I'm trying to... Th- uh, well, there's a very funny... I just saw a very funny uh, Mimi today that... Um, I'm sorry, what? A Mimi. Uh, what is a Mimi? Are those things on the, meme online? Those are pronounced uh, incorrect. Mimi's. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I it just, it just, please never like say that again. Eighties adventure, like stranger things is, is awesome. It's like, I'm trying, what was the, it's like uh, tales from the crypt meets. Oh, nice. There's like a horror sci-fi. Well, what does it have on? that kind it's of a Netflix. vintage look? It's like, like that kind of weird yes, special it, effects. The, the credits, everything is very, uh, the effects are modern, uh-huh. but then like the, I can't, I can't even. Are the, like the monsters are like. The monsters are... Cute? Uh, nope. No, no, not cute. Definitely not cute. But like, I don't know. It, I, I highly recommend it. It was okay. very entertaining. It's only eight episodes. It. They're our episodes. And uh, if you haven't seen Winona Ryder in anything in a long time, she absolutely oh, wow. She's in kills it. it in That's this. your sales pitch? If you haven't seen Winona Ryder in a long I time... I mean, if you're a fan, I've always I liked Winona Ryder. I yeah, she's great. I love Winona Ryder. Oh, my God. But I haven't... But she hasn't Remember been Remember when Scandals while. were just shoplifting? Yeah, no. That seems like, and, and every, but but everyone, I know. but everyone like, was so angry all, too. This there. rich woman shoplifting, people got fucking irate, <laughs> which is just means that people need something to be angry about. No, you know the whole shoplifting thing. I I know that she probably was conscious of okay, I'm doing something wrong, mm-hmm. but there's something that we call set mentality. When you work on set all the time, you get set mentality, and you just think shit is free. Yeah. And so people are like, what, I have to pay for dinner at this restaurant? Wait, you want to, I'm asking you to fix my house, but it's going to cost me thousands of dollars? Yeah, I, I see like, guys build sets there for free. Isn't, it's not, life's not free. The set mentality people, they kind of get diluted into thinking shit should be free, and, it, and it's not. And I think Winona was suffering from I've, set I have mentality. heard, I know some wardrobe people that are like, yeah, this woman just takes clothes. She thinks they're hers they're because she's never had to buy mentality. her own. She's yeah. worked in TV for so, for long. so long. And some people never say anything to them, though, too, no, which also builds no, into nobody the Nobody says shit, which yeah. means yeah. you're like, well, no one's going to say anything. I'm just going to keep doing it. Exactly. Yep. I always and ask. I'm like, um, this shirt fits. Can I have it? And they're like, no. Like, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though you brought it. Yeah. But, but wait, it's mine. It <laughs> says John on the tag <laughs> on the inside. My mom wrote that in there. Yeah, but we steamed it. Yeah, it's but, our steam But now. we steamed it, so now what? It's our steam. <laughs> but anyway, that's just a Winona Ryder aside about... Something. Yeah, yeah. see, this. You I know? told you in the beginning of the show, this I, is how this I, thing I rolls. Like but so, so, you know, so all this is going on, your husband's doing really well, you buy the house, you guys start shooting some stuff, um, you're kind of doing your thing, all of a sudden you decide the green thumb is, is it's time for the green thumb to no, come rocking? The whole, the whole time, 
when I lived in Chicago and uh, here, I have been gardening, you know. But landscaping whole... as a business, though. Right, right. Well, once, um, I guess once the first part of the drought hit and people were like calling me up to come over and help them to figure out. What, as an aside, what not because be you pretty. started a business. No, as a just like before, because I, cause I didn't have a business then. It was okay. just me doing favor for a friend. And giving, saying, well, I would put this there and that there because they're drought tolerant and they, that would go nice here and it would look pretty and then maybe you could make a patio over here. And they'd be like, oh, well, cool. Thanks, buddy. I'll see you later. And they'd hire someone to do that. And yeah. <laughs> and you'd be like, wait so a minute. So then I was like, <laughs> I really like doing landscaping and gardening and designing gardens, so maybe I should get money for doing it. And so that's how that came about, just and because I made a choice to you know, ask people to pay me for doing it, which... Was it tough at first when they were like, but but chum, but pal, but um, buddy. But buddy, but Betty. Sometimes. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. where it comes from. Betty. Buddy. Hey, buddy. Betty, was, buddy. buddy. Hey, Someone buddy. did say buddy once when I said Betty. <laughs> was it an Armenian <laughs> climate? <laughs> Hi, my name's Betty. Yes, buddy, I know it's your name. Come over here, buddy. <laughs> I prefer you call me my friend. Yeah, my friend, buddy, whatever you want. <laughs> McNichol play a character called Buddy on the show? Uh, I don't I'm know. Sure. I'm not sure. a little Christy McNichol reference in there. I'm loving this. I'm 52 and a half. I know. Love it. <laughs> don't forget the half. I used to have a crush on Christy McNichol. This is not the time, Brian. I know. Uh, anyway, all right. So anyway. So yeah. So the gar- like for me, I'm not like dedicating my life to gardening, mm-hmm. especially at this time of year. <laughs> I did. Uh, Someone in- hates the heat. I did an interior design job recently, and that was really fun. I like designing stuff. I like, I like the whole Pygmalion before and after scenario. Transformation. I like transformations. I like making stuff look prettier. The the you've posted some stuff online mm. of some of the gardens you've done, and they look awesome. Thank you. They look really good. You know Thank what I mean? You. And that's the kind of thing. Like if I was over a homeowner, I'd want like a really badass garden. But I don't. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go out and say grab a hoe or a shovel yeah it's hard work and you need to know for certain things you need to know what you're doing yeah i call i I hit her up i was like hey i see you got this landscaping thing going (laughs) on i i I landscaped in college i laid some sod you know i could help i could help you if if you're looking for help you know because i was i'm broke as fuck and i need money and she was like yeah can you and then she listed like can you do bender board how do you do the dg do you do it in layers what um uh, <laughs> basically my response was <laughs> like uh i think i'm in over my head goodbye did i say landscaping oh, i meant do you need someone to wash your car <laughs> <laughs> i'll pick up your dry cleaning just so you know i'm not like making billions of dollars landscaping it's well like, clearly because like you actually wanted to know if i was responsible and could handle things instead of going yeah i don't care who i pay well that kind of wrecked the uh the punch to the whole show is that we were gonna re- we were gonna announce that you were the first billionaire <laughs> landscaper yeah, and uh, guys fun? tonight on billionaire <laughs> landscapers we should totally make that show the road to landscaping we went it, through new york city everyone make it like a like dallas how do you make your money well see that cactus over there i paid five dollars i charged them seventy eight thousand dollars <laughs> and then i put it in for them and they pay me another fifty dollars for labor <laughs> oh my god 50, just sometimes $50. Sometimes that is not too far from the truth. You'll, yeah. you'll ask certain people, like who, uh, you know, different crew people who you want to work with, hey, how about if we get a bunch of these um, hedge plants over here? How much are those each? And he'll be like, hmm, 
$60. And they go to Home Depot and they're $20 each. I'm like, yeah, $60 for you, but I can can take care of that part of it. Because it would be $20 for the plant and you get the rest. Uh, Yeah, it's $60 if he brings it. So... It's not. So I guess I'm bringing it. The fun part is all the pretty transformations. The hard part is everything else. Yeah. Once I see the final product, the fun part is my Instagram. Yeah. Everything else. The actual work, not as fun as you'd think. (laughs) Yeah. Which you know, work equals fun usually. Um, that's what I I was trying to turn my vocation into my my avocation into my vocation, but. That's not okay. Tonight on Big Word Dictionary. Like, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's like the thing you love doing should be the thing you make a living from. Ideally, yes. If you wouldn't do it for free, why would? You, why are you doing it at all? Right. So, but um, that's how it should be with comedy and acting and filmmaking. But I will say that I think... Storytelling. I think you, there's a very important through line... In your story, and that is like when you when people are like, oh, you should get over to Second City because that's where Lauren Michael, uh, that's where they're looking, and that's where they're picking people. And you're like, yeah, but I'm having fun here, and I'm doing what I want to do here. So why do I need to leave here? And then you do it, and then that pays off in a sense that had you gone to Second City to try to, you know, pardon the expression, suck that dick or whatever, mm-hmm. that's an expression. Would that have? I don't know if I can pardon that. Would, would that have maybe he? Then is here on the night you're over there, and he right. never sees you, and who knows? Who do you knows? Know what I mean? Who who does know? I mean, because that. Well, I do, and the answer is he would have never seen. <laughs> he me. never would have seen me, and chances are I might have been doing work to try and please someone else. Yeah, and so it might not have been as funny as it, what I chose to do, which was my own thing that made Jill you and laugh. Faith and... Gave me the freedom to just play whatever I wanted to play, and. Yeah. That I chose something that cracks me up, which is basically my brother Danny, <laughs> me playing my brother Danny. Hilarious. You have a brother named that's, Danny, though. Yeah, that's Miss Southside of Chicago. Hey, Beth, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> hey, down here on the south side, I just bought some floor mats. He's very south side. Did you ever have the accent, or did you just get rid of it over the years? Um, I think I've gotten rid of it over the years, but I think I still have a little bit of it. Oh, when you go home, right? When you go home, I don't know if I I hear hear, nothing. But people from Chicago always say that they can't hear any accent. Like the craziest thing is (laughs) English and Scottish actors when they play an American accent. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. Like there's a guy Kevin McKidd who's from Scotland and he's on ER, and he was playing an American doctor on ER. Do you know who that is? No. Uh-huh. It's crazy because I've met him many times and he's got this beautiful Scottish accent. Brogue. And he's like on this show going, hey, we need these, uh, you know, yeah. we need these vials, stat. And you're like, what the hell? <laughs> it's like, why? Charlie, it's like why? Charlie Hoonanen or whatever his name on Sons of Anarchy. He's like, uh, how do you play English. an American accent? Like that doesn't seem. And like where, an where in America are you? Doesn't seem like an. Are accent. you pulling it from? So yeah, so you're just over time. See, when I go back home, it almost becomes. A, I, I it starts changing. Oh, I and become. Then I, and then a, I leave. I become a parody of myself when I go home. And yeah. People are like, what is it? like. Like you think you put it on more. Well, yeah, it, it happens just, it naturally just, because yeah. ma, ma. That's yeah, how you used ma, to talk. Yes. Fu- what the fuck, ma? <laughs> that's how you used to talk to them, and you go, you revert back to the way you used to communicate with them when you lived there, mm-hmm. 
And it usually takes me a couple days after I get back. I get mocked by everybody here. They know when I've been out of town wow. and when I've gone back to Wisconsin because I, I get, get the abouts more. and all that other stuff that Wisconsinites have. I'm going on yeah. my houseboat. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Wisconsin, and then when you get further north, it's like it goes in gradations. Oh yeah, the by the map. time by the time you're in national Wisconsin, and when you get you, over into Minnesota, <laughs> then you got all this crazy stuff nonsense happening. Uh, yeah, it starts in Wisconsin. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm down by the boat, and then that happened. Yeah, yeah, and the then boat. you get slowly the go up Duluth, and if you work down into Minnesota, it's like, hey, you're like, whoa, wow, <laughs> uh, fucking everyone's insane. Yeah. <laughs> I love dialects. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, they're it's they're really so interesting. And if, Money. and if you can like imitate them, yep. like uh, Andrew Santino is a perfect example. That guy just hears someone's accent or speech pattern, and then he can take that and just do an impression of that person. Like a, I have to hear an actual person and the way that they talk. Right. Like it, it doesn't matter to me if it's a woman who's from this one block in a town. I, I, it has to be that person. I have yeah. to be playing her. You're, you're actually pulling that person. That's yeah. what you're channeling. Gotcha. Not, yeah. Because it's too general otherwise. And I kind of, especially with improv, you know, you don't really have a lot of dialogue if it's that general. It has to be kind of from that person's point of view. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. yeah. It, then it flows. I'm saying that's how it flows out of Well, yeah, because you're, you're, you've layered the character and you're a little more in depth. So you, you're, you're also coming from that character's point of view versus right. a generic voice point exactly. of view. Exactly. Yeah. And instead of building I, your own layers, you're looking at layers of somebody else and you're just playing with those. And having fun with, yeah, things you know about them. Like my brother Danny, that was so easy to play, my own brother. I right. hung around with him throughout my whole childhood. We were next in age to each other out of six kids. And so it was super easy to play. You know, a beauty pageant contestant who is my brother. <laughs> Essentially, Danny. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And that's what. Wait, that's what. Um, is that on Time Life Books? Dana. Essentially, Danny. <laughs> the Essential Danny. Good collection. reading. But there, there should be an Essential Danny reading, and it should be the book should be called Essential Danny: How Not to Be a Donny. <laughs> that's exactly what it should be called. How not to be a Donny. What? So, at this point in your in your life and your career, how do you how do you want or see things playing out over the next? Or at this point, like, well, what right is it that you I'm want? I'm writing a couple of screenplays. Okay. So I want to make some money selling those. I know there's <laughs> the rules in there for two guys with a podcast. There are. That's what you now, wanted to talk to us about. Now there are. Now there are. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. I just wrote that in. Rework, rework the second See, act. These improv chops are amazing. Your B story starts at page 30. It should be the podcast. That's all I'm saying. But you do what you want, I and guess. I You're creative. And I just started a fourth screenplay about some guys who make podcasts. Perfect. Um, can I request Again. that Mike Coleman play my part? <laughs> well, you know, I wrote Gross Nurses with Dana and Julia. Which was really fucking funny. Did you read it? I read that Why are you so angry about it because then? I was so threatened. It, it didn't person. get made. What, oh, okay. Didn't right. get, we're both mad. I, was, I read <laughs> that. He said that jinx. But now, but why? Why me. can't it? I felt uh, no idea. I, well, no, I mean, meaning when you guys say it, as if it couldn't. I, it can get made. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But Dane and Julia want to play the two stars of the show, right? And so that's a harder thing to sell, right? You, if you, you have to be able to, you have to be able to just either walk away from the script or connect yourself to it and then don't give up. And and I appreciate that, and I think they would be great in that they movie. They would because they wrote I, it for themselves. Yeah. Can I ask a question? There is a male character who only has one testicle in the script. Am the, I the basis for that the, character? <laughs> I think the impetus of that one testicle thing. Impotence? I think I think imp- impetus <laughs> was 
Dana, I think, was the one who came up yeah. with that idea. <laughs> well, then she there was you go. the one. She said she knew a guy with only and one. There guy. Is. And there he is. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to. That's how I'm she put positive. it to you guys. She said she knew a guy. I'm not positive. She was protecting your identity. I don't remember the exact conversation. <laughs> when we I worked together, we would work at the computer for like six hours at a time. Yeah. And it was always fun and always a lot of laughs. And my neighbor would always comment when we were done working. You must be doing something fun over there because all I hear is laughter, <laughs> laughter, laughter. And again, writing a movie that the three of you laugh at is key. Like, and it makes you laugh. Fun. How the fuck is it not funny? It's not. It's funny. Because when I'm laughing, I know it's funny yeah. because I'm a, I have a really tough, like, I don't just laugh at anything. Right. Like, I don't laugh at Pratt Falls. Unless they're funny. Unless Brian, it's a fall good down. One. Show her a good one. <laughs> I got a good Chevy Chase. Um, I'm an asshole on the way down. But but my but my, thank my, you, thank you, one. thank you. When I, I I read that I, yeah I read that and when <laughs> I first when when Dana and Julia first you're so upset that someone didn't expose you as the one testicle man. When I don't they understand first why came that's to MTV that. when they first came because I had met I had had a brief grazing of a, an encounter in Aspen but I didn't really know them at all mm-hmm. and then when they came down TV they worked on punk and I was working on punk uh-huh. and the one of the I, I said something and it came out that I only had one testicle like okay. the, it came up in conversation and Dana was the first one to go uh is that on your business card and I go <laughs> I go what she goes I'm John Huck I'm a comedian and I have one ball and I'm like it is now, and I literally still have business cards that that say, one ball. that say, "I'm John Huck. I'm a comedian, and I have one ball." That's and like, awesome. and it, and it, and from that, I actually did develop a good 10, 15 minutes on cancer and stuff that wasn't in my act previously mm-hmm. about about the whole process of it was, and it, and it was good. Whatever, it's on my first CD, a fantasticular <laughs> hilaritation, nice. which you can get on iTunes, everybody. Wow. But um, yeah, it's from 2011, but. <laughs> But yeah, I, I loved writing that with those two girls. The movie, really the funny. movie is funny, and it was bizarre enough. Like to me, when I see shit like Children's Hospital, or um, uh, I'm trying to think of other TV shows that that were more uh, more prime timeish that that it could rival. But it it was a funny idea for a movie. It was so funny. What, what, what was the because you guys are so angry? What was the what was the reason why it didn't get traction? Ultimately, like, what, where's the well? Frust- if they're not willing the to walk away from the lead roles, that's that's a big thing. Was right? that a big thing that came back, or are you just saying that that was just a hurdle that some people were like, you- "No, I mean, if I win the lottery, t- is today Tuesday? No, Monday. oh, the Powerball is pretty I high. Win this lottery week. tomorrow, I'm gonna make gross nurses. I yeah, that's play exactly lottery right. All the time, <laughs> I want to make this movie, and I want them to be the stars of it. Yeah, and I want to direct it, and. Uh, Make it. I, yeah. I, Anybody it's a I, funny script, and I think people would really laugh their butts off, and it would be a fun thing to give to people. Yeah. And um, especially in these trying I th- times. You know what? Yeah. I think it would be like it would be a it would be a surprise to people. Like Bridesmaids was a surprise to when we saw Bridesmaids, and we were like, I didn't know, I hadn't heard any hype. I knew Kristen Wiig. I didn't really know too much about the movie, and we went in and saw that movie, and I came out fucking in tears. Yeah, it was so funny, and I think Dana and Julia have been around. Like we all know who they are. Yeah, uh, and if you don't, they have. Uh, they had a show on MTV. They have a show called Biatches, yeah. which is a cartoon, and I get to play Shelley, the cheerleader in a wheelchair. <laughs> Well, sorry, that's they, a, they it's a dramatic role. They wrote that part for me. That's lovely. That's <laughs> nice. But but again, like we in the entertainment, like we know who they are. They've been in a bunch of Sandler movies. He kind of picked them and brought them out to yeah. L.A. 
and and it, it would it would be a surprise to people if they saw that movie they would be like they'd be happy they would be very happy and I think they would laugh hysterically because well, that script was really goofy. funny. There's so much yes. physical comedy in there. It's and nothing so to take much serious. Silly, stupid nonsense in there. It's just really and the plot is dumb. <laughs> but, but, but but the what the fuck it is the plot of Ghostbusters? Cares? What the fuck yeah, is the plot of exactly. Spies Like Us? What the it's just goofiness. It's just the plot a, of Caddyshack the, is literally nothing except golf. golf. Right? Exactly. Thank you for saying that. Because I'm always like, how can we sell gross nurses? It's about nurses. Work on that plot. No, it's about two girls who all they want to do is be nurses, and they run like. And they're gross weirdos. (laughs) They're gross, disgusting weirdos. They're disgusting because Dana and Julia are disgusting. Yeah, yeah, and they know. I read their Facebook feeds in a hilarious way. way. But yes, if you were to like. (laughs) Yeah, this is Dana and Julia. And then the first thing out of their mouth, you'd be like, oh, oops, sorry, I brought them to the party. I didn't yeah. mean for yeah. them to be. <laughs> but I will tell you guys, I mean, and, and I appreciate all your passion, both of you. I want to say that just off the top of my. You okay. Um, I, you know, you're talking about wanting to make that movie. I obviously I haven't read the script. I don't know how expensive it would be. But I will say that what's happening in, in with distribution and digital distribution and the way things have changed it really, I truly believe that you're going to see another renaissance where movies like that should and would and can get made with people like Dana and Julia as the leads because digital distribution is now opening the door and allowing I think that. You're right. Because what's happening is you're in this, and I've just done a lot of research on this. I know a lot of the push is always to go with names. Well, names are expensive, and, the, and when you get an expensive name, the budget goes up and up and up, and the returns are harder and harder to get. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, and you know this because you've been successful in this field, funny is funny. And when people find it, they share it. Yeah. And when they and, share it, it gets like bigger, it. And and like bigger, it. And bigger and bigger and bigger. And that mad that funny matters more than who made it who made it funny. So just because it wasn't it wasn't Jennifer Aniston. It. Well, well the other thing I would say is if you can, yes. But two <laughs> two um there But that was a pretty inspirational thing. There's I said, more right? yeah, that was absolutely wonderful. and there's thanks, thanks, guys. there's far more outlets now than there were when you wrote that movie. And I know that totally. it wasn't that long ago, but now there's Netflix. Yeah. Now there's Hulu. Now there's Amazon. Yeah. Now there's And they're all looking for content. They're they all looking for content. You just and have to be new... budget friendly is all I'm saying. And budget and, friendly and that script outweighs isn't crazy. Talent. It's not crazy. Not like, talent, I'm sorry, but... the, it, you know, if if the Herald was still around, you'd need a hospital, you'd need an apartment. Yeah. You'd need a house maybe. Uh, an apartment, a hospital, um, a big brown power pole. Well, see this is okay, I didn't know that. Never mind. <laughs> I forgot about that. Never. Look, you know what? My, my, can you? Can I take back my speech? Don't, don't ruin any of the jokes. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, these are all things. Many more times yeah. if the film gets made. There, I mean, look, <laughs> it's it's not it's not like we need to be out at sea and we can't see land and right. it has to be. It's a it's a doable. Can we get that uh, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean ship for a week? Yeah, it's a, it's an it's a, it would be. You know, budget-wise, it would not be an exceedingly. I, I guess my, my point is that I really, I'm, I truly do believe that. The, like in, in the, we face this in our business all the time. It's the the easy defense to saying no is who is attached, and I believe that that attachment has been always based to twenty five, thirty five, forty five, hundred million dollar movies. Attachments matter. I just feel like 
having to pile all these names on these things in order to make a, a script that's already funny yeah. relevant is not relevant. And you can go all the way back to annoyance and know that funny is funny. You guys yeah, were not six. True. You were not six stars that were people were lining up down the street no, for. We you were, were six people that got your shit together and did it right. And that's why they showed up. And I don't see that being any different than what the internet is offering You're right. now. I think that uh, we should definitely make it. I just have And you to... want to direct it? Well, I could. I mean, if they want me to, it's mostly you know. Oh well, why wouldn't they? There, oh. I hope I. Oh, I don't, I, I don't want to put words in anyone's we'll mouth. See what, not, yeah, we'll, I just I it sounds I like it's hilarious. I be just, in charge of everything. So. Oh, okay, just yeah, okay, good, good. <laughs> I'll produce it. Fair enough. Fair know? enough. But I'll definitely be telling whoever the director is how to direct. How to direct. <laughs> well, if you guys want to exchange your instant business cards, you have your new producer business card that you can you can fake slide over to John. John, and if you I'm can a slide over your and I one, one testicle, yeah. testicle, and she'll look at him. Unbelievable! Looking, we've been looking for a man with one ball. <laughs> We're gonna need it to be a method part. It can't be well, a guy just saying it. It has to be a fine guy. Fine day for this business. We're I gonna have need to your. Uh, We're gonna need your scrotum to do a, a screen test. We're gonna have to, to do a, prove. We're gonna have to do a mold of it. <laughs> If that's cool, because it has to, at the end of the movie, it comes into play. Don't even, those girls would not want that if they hear this. They're going to be like, oh, we didn't think about that. Okay, yeah, let's, that's, that's so a, a mold of the sack. Perfect. Uh, and it's they, just up on someone's mantle. What is this? Why is this balloon deflated on one side? That's just a one ball test. It's one, a one ball sack. Listen, for the last movie I made, I spent a day making testicles. I think, and if I can oh, do it, I exposed? think anything is po- possible. Be anything. It was a end? little vasectomy, so I had to really. But did you have to make fake balls? Oh, yeah. And then, then get what? Close ups of them? Well, I'm not going to spoil what we oh, shot, don't, but my don't, point don't is. Ruin the, don't it's ruin a big, the, It's a big don't, moment in the, in the movie, the but. But uh, I, I learned how to I learned how to Google and make balls. Brian made a movie called Ballsack, and uh, <laughs> he was doing the cover. Well, for you the just DVD. gave it away. Damn <laughs> Sorry, have that idea. I don't, I don't want to ruin the end of the movie. The movie's called Ballsack. Uh, I gotta uh, go. Speaking of that, we have we, uh, we probably should wrap it up. Yeah. At this yeah. Point. Did we talk too long? No. We. No, this no. was you. You were engaging, and you had you had a great story, and yeah. your laugh is infectious. I'm sure you've already been told oh, that a million times before. You. But, but my, my my point is, we we cut it off when we when we know it's time to cut it off, and we would have cut it off a long time. And I got like 16 phone calls as and you could hear editing. during this thing. Yeah. And nope. Always editing. Nope. No, no we don't. Editing. We don't. No. Edit. Nah. Who's got no, our listeners shit. actually enjoy put the facts. That's how I make movies too. I just shoot it and then I just put it out. Yeah. Don't edit. <laughs> it's all out of order. Yeah, you've seen John's recent one, uh, 16 Hours from Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys very much for having me. It was really fun. Betty, thank you so much for coming on the show. You were great. Uh, best of luck with I Hope Gross Nurses Gets Made. I hope uh, and, uh, and landscaping business on. takes off and all the other scripts work out. Now I'm going to start writing a script about a landscaper, too, I think. Uh-huh. See? Who goes on a podcast and her business explodes. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, and uh, I didn't have anything else. Oh, yeah. Chapman on the Cubs still. All right. Good stuff. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 